0: Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast. We are here in Studio B, Studio 2. I think Studio B is better for Studio Breezy, right? Studio B,
1: just because A and B. Like, and and also that, works. Studio that works. Breezy. That works, that
0: works. There uh, is no one to keep Matthew and I in line today, as, as that will attest to. Uh, there's no producer Jay, there's no uh, Smitty here to yell at us and keep us... Uh, Sticking to facts. So what I can tell you today, y'all, is that we will be doing a lot of speculating, uh, a lot of opinioning. There's a lot of opinions in this podcast anyway, but there'll be a lot of speculation. Uh, This is a departure from our normal, timeless player shows. Um, This show, as Matt told me in the pre-show, and he's right, will have a shelf life of some kind. Um, At this point, we only know the eight returners, so all the players we can talk about are the eight returners. Uh, we've never seen Rod Underwood coach a game in NISA for Chattanooga football club. So all of what we talk about and predict is going to be conjecture, but you know, that's what we're here for, uh, for Matt and I, at least. So we're going to have a a good time. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, if this is not your type of podcast, if you're not a fan of uh, a bunch of uh, two idiots who've never played soccer at any sort of high level, um, talking about tactics and what we think things are going to be. Maybe you skip this episode, but with that said, we love all the boys we're going to talk about. Um, we love Coach Fuller. We love. We like Rod Underwood. Um, yeah, this is this is not about who and what. It's just about what we think might happen and talk about what we what we're predicting for the season uh, tactically and and roster wise. So, anyway, here we go. I'm going to crack a. Ooh, that's spl- <laughs> that's <laughs> that splashed a, little a little on little the uh, on the mic there. Like, it's a studio. This is Studio B. We can do what we want. Um, all right, Matthew. So to get it started. Uh, you've got things listed here, returning players by old position. And one thing we're going to talk a little bit about here uh, is put, what old positions versus new positions. So these, again, this is all conjecture, but what we think, uh, how we know fuller classified folks, how we classified folks in fuller system, how, the, how Matt and Breezy classified folks and how we think Rod Underwood will classify them or in the end, how we will classify them in Rod Underwood system. So uh, let's get a little bit into that. Matthew, why don't you give us a primer on on how we're looking at this?
1: Okay. Well, the, the, the only other exposition part I want to, I want to say is that like, even if this is not your thing, like come nerd out with us, it'll be fun. I promise.
0: Um, I I do not promise that, but I'm going to have
1: fun. (laughs) So, so the first thing I want to do is talk about a little bit of how, about how coach Fuller set up teams in 2021. Uh, At times we played with a a standard four, three, three. Usually that was two sixes and a 10. Uh, two center defensive midfielders and and a center attacking midfielder with two wingers and a number nine up front uh, with a back four. Uh, That was at the very, very beginning of the season brought on by injury. Uh, And and we've played it once or twice before or or once or twice since then. Uh, Our, our system for most of the year uh, was, was with a back three. Uh, We called them the three amigos. It was Sean Russell, Nick Spielman and Richard Dixon across the back line. And then we kind of played a flat four, uh, in in the midfield block. James Kasach was often the left midfielder. Um, you know, Tate was was often in in the middle. Juan was often in the middle. Sean Hofstadter was often in the middle. Uh, in those two, in those two central midfield roles, it was essentially a double pivot.
0: Uh, kind. Of. It didn't it didn't operate like a classic one, but it, at least on paper it was a double pivot.
1: Sort of. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then you'd have whoever was playing right midfield. Sometimes Cutler Coleman. Sometimes Tate. Sometimes Cam Woodfin. Uh, and then you'd have variations for the three up front. Uh at times we would play with a with a singular ten, often Ian McGrath in the spring portion of the season and two forwards. Or uh especially later on, think uh LA Force in the semifinal, and then for most for the Independent Cup and for the first maybe four, five, six games of the um or I really maybe more of like nine or ten games of, of the fall season playing with kind of two sometimes wide sometimes narrow forwards underneath a, a number nine um, kind of a, a kind of a classic playing number nine.
0: Uh, yeah. Except we didn't we didn't have
1: we didn't we also did not have a classic number nine. Yeah, it should should, be noted. Which
0: is why it's one of the things that and we can talk a little bit about the spring and the fall. One of the things that made this roster and this form and any formation we play a little squirrely, because Marcus, um, for being a great goal scorer is more of a second forward. He can play the nine, but he's not a classic nine. He's not quote unquote, right? He's not an English nine. He's He's, not he's not gonna he's not gonna put his back uh and and he he did do
1: this at, at times. He did especially tried to do it, uh Especially when we went to more direct play, post um, starting away to LA Force, maybe six games into the fall season. Uh, but his his skill set is is waiting for a ball to come in
0: and hitting it first time and scoring a goal, or take, or, for, or taking free kicks or yeah, combining yeah. His, his but combining in the box. His his he's not going to get at he's at not midfield bringing the ball
1: down from his chest mid, At midfield, his, field, uh, uh, yeah, on
0: his back because he's six foot four. Like you know, Marcus is I don't know. Six foot tall, five eleven, maybe. I mean, like he's a normal, good soccer player, good forward. He's not a classic nine, in the way that you'd have a hold up player. And so, I think, and neither is Brian, neither is Sean Hofstadter, who played a little bit up there. Not, I mean, definitely, definitely um, not
1: Brett Jones, returning player.
0: So, and we'll talk a lot about him. So, I think that that was one of the one of the challenges to the system of playing two forwards underneath, or two number tens, I guess, underneath a um, a number nine was that we didn't have a a classic number nine so I think Marcus would have fit really really well as one of those tens and he did play some one of those tens or one of those uh you know tucked in forwards essentially but it didn't it didn't come off as well as it might have had we not ha- had we had a classic like six foot four target guy whose job is to take it off his job I mean if we had had Ian McGrath and Ian McGrath isn't a number nine but Ian McGrath could play that role and play some of that role in midfield. If you had an Ian McGrath type of guy up top, big guy, really good in the air, really strong with his chest, great physically, then hold two guys off, bring it down and lay it off. Like it could have been a really different formation.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I I wanted to go through the systems first. Oh, and, and and towards the end of, towards the end of, of the fall season, we also played a four, three, three offset. Uh, and this is, I don't know how, how much of this was ever really like noticeable and
0: pronounced, we tried, we definitely tried to play a 4 3 3 offset. We, we,
1: we did. It, it, it worked. We won, we won games at the end of the season, remember. uh,
0: Yeah. No, that's, I, I'm just, okay. But we weren't, <laughs> we're, we're about to go there right now. Yeah. Aren't we? Yeah. So, so like, we won games at the end of the season, and all that counts is winning. So I want to preface that. Like, the, the thing that counts the most, I should say, is winning. Right. So, like, credit, credit where credit's due. We won four at the last six. That's good. That's, In fact, that's very good. Seven games to play. You know, I said I don't think on this podcast. I think we were uh, in a bit of a break at the time, but uh, I said you got to win four of the next seven, and you know you need to get at least a draw. And we won four. I said three of seven that we won four. So I wanted. Yeah, you were
1: were hoping for three wins, a draw, and And I thought and I thought
0: I was setting the I thought I was setting the bar too high. I thought I was being unreasonable, and we won four of six. Um, so that's good. Like that's I have no. That is a really good way to finish the season. That said, we were not dominating. We were not certainly not winning now. convincingly. Um, we were getting some of the bounces we weren't getting early on in the season. Um, Alec was standing on his head, and we were being clinical in in the moments where you have to be clinical, and that counts. Like the team did the job they were going to do. But if you want to, if you look at me and be like, "Oh, we really got it together at the end of the year, and like we were going to, you know, go on a run. If there was playoffs, we were going to win the playoffs." I just, I don't buy that. Maybe, maybe we were going to get keep getting some lucky bounces, and Alec was going to continue being Superman. But we were not beat. We were like, we should have lost a couple of those games, including the uh, New Amsterdam game, which we talked about last podcast. We should have lost that game 4 1. Okay. So Alec was a monster, and that counts. He's, it's on the field, right? But you can't bet on Alec being a monster every single game or Alec's going to be an MLS in, in three months.
1: <laughs> Basically, like,
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, just that's just not how it works, right? Like everybody has good games, everybody has good runs of form, but the team overall wasn't having a great run of form. I think, I think, even though the results were coming our way. And I think that those, some of those results should have come our way early on in the season. And it was luck evening out and that's good. But also like, I just want to say like, I love, I mean, I'm, this is no shot at the boys, but like this was a rough season and the end of the season, the results kind of evened out maybe where we should have been, which was fifth place. But man, that w- it wasn't a convincing, you know, four of the last six, we figured it out. We were dominating teams. That wasn't what happened.
1: I think maybe broadly the point that you're trying to make and, and, and a point that I I have made before, maybe not on this podcast is that even though we won four of the last six and and you know the results were finally there in the end, changes were still coming. If, yeah. If if Coach Fuller is still still the head coach, changes were coming. Yeah. Um. Because because they had to,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, and we're and you know, obviously, clearly, we're not paid to make those decisions. We're not. We weren't advocating for changes other than we want to win games. Um. But it's obvious that the I think it's it's obvious to me that Coach Fuller not getting renewed was not based on and bringing in Rod Underwood in, in a different sense was not based on how the fall ended because the fall actually ended kind of poorly for Stumptown and including us beating them and kind of well for us. I think those changes were coming on the balance of the whole season on the balance of how things went for the whole year and you know we can look at some of those things as you know we're not here to say those are right or wrong, but those I think were how the judgments were being made by those getting paid to make those decisions.
1: so let's talk about some some of the players coming back. And how we classified them, how at least how, how they, they fit into the the, the system uh, in 2021. And, and part of this is because we'll talk about kind of, we'll, we'll deep dive Rod Underwood, some tactics, uh, projections for how we think that he'll want to play with CFC, how he did play with Stumptown last year. And then we were probably reclassify some players uh, in, into what I'm going to see as new positions. Because if you just list players as defenders, midfielders, and forwards, you're missing a lot of nuance and, and a lot of nerdiness.
0: All of the nuance.
1: So, uh, obviously, goalkeepers that doesn't change. Reddington's back uh, there.
0: Hell yeah! Welcome back, Alec. Welcome back, Red.
1: You've got Nick Spielman and Richard Dixon,
0: uh, defenders
1: in the old system, mostly playing in that back three. That's for, well. I mean, there's some. But there, there, let's actually let's talk about that right now. So, th- so okay, yeah. So towards the end of the season, partly based on the emergence of Coyote of de Silver, which we talked about in the last pod, but we we were able to move Richard Dixon into midfield. We were able to move Nick Spielman into midfield occasionally, especially when we were playing a back four, because, you know, you can move... Kaysak spent... James Kasach spent most of the year playing left midfield. Um, he was, I mean, with, with, four across, with three at the back and kind of three up top, sort of, in various places, and then four across at midfield. He was responsible for width on the left side. Uh, sometimes we classify that as a wing back. Sometimes it's classified as a midfielder. It's all the same damn thing.
0: Well, it just depends how the. Yes, it is the same thing, but it depends how the team plays. Correct. So, some. I mean, if you look at Conte, for example, who gets who gets tasked as being a manager in the Premier League and in Italy, that is super defensive. His wing backs are not super defensive. Now they do a lot of defensive work, but they provide all of the width for his teams because he usually plays two up top or three, but his three are usually tucked in. It's not that different from how we it's, did things. Yes. But to, and then Thomas Tuchel has done things differently depending on where he's at. Sometimes he has played a three where his wingbacks are legitimately defenders. And sometimes he plays a back three where his wingbacks are legitimately wingers. I mean, and then I think I didn't watch the game, but I remember you texting Christian Pulisic is just playing right wing back or so he's a 10 playing right wing back last week.
1: Yeah. And, and, and for that, and we're talking about Thomas at, at at Chelsea and Antonio Conte at Tottenham now, uh, but P- holistic uh, was moved from a, from a kind of a false nine position for Chelsea into like the right wing back role, but it was really more of like a right w- midfield, wing. right? Like truly like almost right, right winger at times. Yeah. Because so Mason Mount's trying to cut in and like,
0: just adding the caveat that, that, space. that every, every coach coaches their wing backs differently. And I think you see a big difference from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. And granted, we played a lot of different formations, but uh Kasach played a lot more, like he put a lot higher up the field, and didn't do as much defending, and I think wasn't tasked with doing as much defending, whether that was on purpose or just by how the personnel was set out there. Um I talked about last game where or last pod where Sean Russell, you know, just told him like, stay up, stay up. You know, so I don't I don't know how things I don't always know how things were set up, but I can say that how things were played is towards the end of the season, he did a lot more defending. He was a lot more of a wing back as opposed to a winger. He was still getting forward, but he was not staying up as much whereas the beginning of the season he was sometimes he was just almost not even a right midfielder but I mean a left midfielder but a left winger
1: yeah yeah and and I actually I forgot and that's how
0: he got that's how he got eight assists
1: and and I forgot about nine
0: and and we we forgot about
1: the the uh the three four3 box and the three four3 diamond that were experiments used in in uh, a couple of those amateur games against North Alabama and, and Georgia Revolution uh but James Kasach, and, and and I'm classifying him as a midfielder for for CFC for 2021, because on the balance of the season, he was mostly a left midfielder and the club was using him as a midfielder Monday. So it helps my argument here.
0: I mean, I think those, that was, <laughs> those were marketing choices, but keep going.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure that's fine. Uh, so we've got K in midfield. We got Tate Robertson in midfield who spent time playing right midfield, uh, center defensive midfield, a little bit of right back. I was going to say
0: straight up right back several times. And,
1: and, and I'll notice, or I'll, I'll make note that, that, sack and Robertson playing left and right back at the end of the season, um, when we were in a back four. Mm-hmm. So that that'll, that'll that'll matter later. Yeah, Juan Hernandez coming back as a midfielder. He's never played anywhere other than the center of the park, and I don't really see that see that changing very much. There was a little bit. Yeah, of just time. how fa-
0: how far forward is he going to be? Yes, question.
1: yes. And and Juan played he, he played one of the tens on the right side. Yeah. So so sometimes you see like the roster graphics, and they'll have him listed. The way the way it looked like it looked like he was we were playing a four a three four three and he was the right winger. Like Juan never actually played, you know, he played in that right channel some, but he was a ten and really and really stayed centrally as a ten. Except
0: for a couple of those amateur games where they, they experimented with letting him stay up Juan is a really false high. Nine. Yeah, 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 that was
1: that was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, and then you've got Damian Rodriguez, who played a little bit as a 10, um, uh, a little bit as as a wing back on on either side. Although mostly on the right side, it should be noted. Uh, and Damien's emergence at the end of the season also allowed us to
0: play the four three three offset, uh, which is, yeah, so t- talk to us about the four three three offset and try to do it without having a whiteboard, which is fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. so so if you think about a a four three three, you've got the the back four normal makes sense. You've got two sixes, two center defensive midfielders. You've got a 10, uh, the attacking midfielder. And then the way we played the offset was have two strikers up front and then you'd have one winger. So So instead of of having
0: two wingers, you would have one winger and two strikers. So one of your wingers would be a forward and would push up a little higher and give... Either your left back or your right back, and your left midfielder or your right midfielder, depending on how it was offset, a lot more work to do on defense because your forward was playing as a forward. So you're basically play playing two forwards and one winger. So the idea,
1: so it, and the offset matters for for the offensive side of the ball, and I can explain why the defensive side kind of takes care of itself. Uh, but you play with you play with the one on offsetting, which means that on the opposite, so like Damian mostly played as a right mid, the right winger in the offset which meant that the left side of, of play, the left back, is still responsible for all the width. Uh, so that position has to run a crazy amount. Um, and, but, but it's designed to, to take, a, especially a player that is a little bit smaller, a little bit trickier, maybe getting kicked too much in the middle of the field, it's designed to pull them out wide to let some creativity
0: come from wide. And kind of put them on an island, right? And not an island in a bad way. You put them up, you leave them up high, a little bit more. And you let them create from a position where there's not normally a person that's creating from. And you have two forwards in the middle. I mean, it's one of the reasons that he had a couple assists to end the year. It's one of the reasons we started scoring goals. It was one of the things that made the offense click a little bit. Think
1: Chicago, house at home, Detroit away. These are both Damien Rodriguez playing offset on the right
0: side. And as much as I said, like, we weren't playing awesome to end the year, we also weren't playing terrible. And we were creating some we chances were actually we, crea- creating. we were right creating. We right. The offense was playing better. The defense was playing okay or well, depending on the game. And then the goalkeeping was phenomenal. And that's kind of what kept that's, us in it. That's how you get results sometimes, yeah. but it, it, you know, on the balance of things, there was still a lot to go before we were, I would consider us a dominant team, but either way, the offset did a lot to put Damien into positions where he could have success and other guys could be feeding off of it. You look at Marcus's goal across the box from Damien. Uh, you look at the own goal at Stumptown, you know, coming in again from a wide position. Um, yeah. And, are, and,
1: and think about, uh, yeah, how different would the with the Detroit game away go if Damien's cross in to Sean Hofstadter doesn't hit the bar, uh, if, if Sean's header doesn't hit the bar, that game turns on its head. Um, now Breezy right now is giving giving that like weird look, and we're just thinking, yeah, we're still probably going to lose that game because <laughs> it's Detroit. And it's away. what? I mean, we only lost four times in a calendar year to okay, Detroit. Easy now, we're moving on. Uh, so defensively, the way the offset works. Uh, is that those two forwards, the the right winger, we'll say it's the right winger, drops back and, and plays like it's the seven uh, defensively. That's normal. And then the the outside of the two forwards. So if you think about two forwards up top, the one that's between one of the other forwards and the right winger becomes the number nine in defense. And then the, the left-sided forward
0: yeah, the one drops in as the 11. The one that's nominally out wide. Is or up, but it's he's still pushed up in central. They're, so, they're,
1: they're both supposed to be two central forwards, yeah, on offense. Yes, so whichever one, and usually it's the more uh, it's usually it's the better defensive forward. Right. So if you think of, the more industrious, better work rate forward is the one that drops into the yeah, left so wing. So if, if you
0: think about playing like how we played last season, you could put Brian Beeman out there who does a ton of defensive work. You could put Sean Hossadder out there. Was. Uh, you can put, I mean, there's just like as far as guys who play on that wing, you could put Brett Jones out there, but Brett Jones. Is is a little bit of an anomaly in in Foles' system, and he was hurt, so we didn't get to see him out. Yeah, he's mostly wide coming off the bench towards the um, end. But we, but he's a player you could have seen on that wing, who's kind of a tweener, right? He's a he's a bit of a forward. and We'll get to him, in a, I'm sure, in a minute. But he's a bit of a forward and a bit of a winger, so he could have been good in that role potentially. But it's not an it's not a a perfectly easy role, I don't think, to play, especially positionally being central and then defending on the wing. Yeah. Which I, which that's why I said earlier, like your left midfielder is going to have to do some extra cover there at times because there's like out wide that if they kick it out wide quickly, that forward is not likely to be in that space to do that defending. Now it doesn't mean that every time you're going to get exposed that way, but if you're going to get exposed, it's like having your wingers on the touchline, like coming through the middle, like you're, you're, midfielders do have to pinch in a little bit more, not all the time, but sometimes to defend because there's space between some of that space is going to be out wide if you're getting countered. So what, what happened for us a lot out wide on one side, not out wide, both sides.
1: If that, if that Ford, if that forward could not get out in time, Either if the 10 was on that side of the field, the 10 would try to make that covering run. One of the sixes would try to make that covering run or the outside back, the left back would make that, would make that run. And everyone just like, it gave time for everyone else to get behind the ball and and slot it.
0: It was just a little bit different. It's not quite as a a four, three, three is one of the reasons I think that it's so popular. And if you read tactics books, it's some people think that it's what covers the field in the most like. Equal and and balanced way as far as positionally placing players. Now we all know, or we all know. I think you and I would agree that formations are only starting points. Correct. They're they're only points of reference. Players are never in a formation. It's just where are you starting and where's your like your your point of of being at if everything is ideal. Like there during the game. I mean, there are many teams that play a three man that defend that is a four man really or a four man that like Barcelona for the longest time. The 4-3-3 that Barcelona played from 2008 to 2012 or fit or 13 with Pep was essentially a three man. Yeah. Because Sergio Busquets dropped in and the left back, depending on who it was, either went way forward or some forward. And Danny Alves never left, never, never came never back came. on defense. So he would come back like at it, only when he, he needed to cover in transition. And there was a crazy athletic, like, moment where he had to just sprint back and make a recovery. But if you looked at his starting positions and his heat maps, which uh shout out, Jim, little heat maps, <laughs> uh, his heat maps were straightforward up and down the line. He was just another winger. They were playing a four two four sometimes, like as far as heat maps go, or a three a three something something, depending on because Danny office was just a winger on the touchline. But he was nominally a right back. So everything changes or everything plays differently depending on how you're asked to play that formation. But I do think it's really fun to talk about these formations and look how they start because it does give you a little bit of a a glimpse into what a coach wants to do with those players and why when you put Damien, for example, out wide in an offset in some free space and create an overload to that right side and two people to cross to instead of one person and then one late arriving person, you, if you have a dynamic guy like Damian, Damian, I want to call him Damian. We talked right before the podcast. That apparently, that's a Fullerism, yeah. and his name is Damian, not Damian, which Fuller always called him Damian. So I'm so confused, so confused. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it's just a really, uh, it's a really interesting wrinkle to uh, to throw at teams, and obviously, we had some success with it. Uh, we'll finish out the last returner uh, that we have, and by the way, for the for, for the
1: purposes of of this podcast, uh, we have the eight announced returners at this point. We are assuming that no other returner uh, will, will, there's no other, other, other
0: player from 2021 will be coming back. Uh, that's just so we can kind of make a blanket that just makes this podcast easier. It doesn't yeah. mean that's not happening. Yeah. We don't, Marcus, Marcus could sign right now today and we could release this podcast and then be like, shit. But, you know, <laughs> that, that just is what it is. Like, we don't know. We're only going based on the fact that eight returners have been announced. Yeah.
1: And, and, uh, for all, for all we know, when, when the, when the, news about the seven returners before before damien's announcement uh damien could have just been the only one there could have been others we we just don't know so we're not going to speculate yep uh we're just
0: going to go with what we what we know and go from there
1: so the last one is brett jones uh classified as a forward Brett brett jones uh classified as a forward uh and and he played a little bit you know mostly as a second striker all of our strikers are second strikers uh he played a little bit in that second striker role. He played a little bit as kind of a, a winger 10 type, type forward um, in that 3 4 three, four, three. I think that part's going to come back as, as, as interesting later on. Uh, but that's just, so that's just where we are now. We've talked about the, the players coming back. We've talked about a lot of fuller systems and how they played and where guys fit in. Let's uh, let's move to, to Rod Underwood. Uh, and and we've and, and I had the chance to talk to him a little bit on a couple podcasts ago. So sad I missed that, but I loved the podcast. You um, guys crushed it. And and he never really he never really talked about formation on that podcast, but he talked a lot about about you know, uh, Cruyff at, at Barcelona, uh, Guardiola at at Manchester City, the way of possession, controlling the game with the ball.
0: By the way, he did mention Klopp. He did not talk about him, but he did. In yeah, he list did. He of, did mention a little bit. That makes me really excited.
1: Um, so he didn't give us any clues about, about how he's, he's planning to play, uh, in 2022 with CFC, but we had an entire season and, and actually kind of two versions of a season of two versions of two different seasons when he was with Stumptown last year. And I think you can draw enough. I think you can draw some conclusions and then, and that provides a little bit of evidence for speculation for how we might play. So, I think it's I think it's pretty clear, and this is partly based on on Guardiola at Barcelona, Guardiola at Manchester City, uh, and the way those types of teams the the style of play the style of soccer that he believes in,
0: which he which he outlines a bit on his website. Like, yes, correct. Uh, and is, when you when you asked him, he said proactive, possession based, guys that can play football. Yeah. So what he,
1: what we what we're guessing he's looking for. Is is a four, three, 3 with a lone six, two uh, two eights, and then three players up front, and and I think the three players up front are interesting. That's where where uh, you never really know, and I, I think there's some variations to how how you want to classify them or 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 how how they fit in, and we can talk about the, the differences that we had at Stumptown. Uh, but that's but that's basically the gist of it. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that it's total football, uh, which is the the Dutch phrase,
0: and which which come from which came from, um, Mickels, which then which he mentioned, who then went to Cruyff, yes. and then went to Guardiola. And if you look at this year's Manchester City, um, I was reading an article the other day, and I, I think I agree with this. Um, and it basically said that this Guardiola this Manchester City's team is probably the closest thing to Pep's platonic ideal of of total football, which every one of these guys I just mentioned has had a little bit different view, and I would even call an evolution of total football. And you look at what Rod Underwood wants to do, he will certainly have his own take on it. But he's he has he mentioned several times that he's a Guardiola fan. Yes, not a not necessarily a Manchester City fan. He will follow um, Guardiola wherever he goes. And he was a you know he said I was a Barcelona fan before most people in the U.S. knew who Barcelona was. And he he's not you know, I don't think he was bragging there. He was just saying I've been following him a long time. Yes, like I and I think that that's going to condition all of how you and I view what he wants to do and through the lens of what he did, of course, um, this season with Stumptown. So, or this calendar year, not this season. There's really two seasons: spring and fall. Two very different Stumptown teams.
1: Yeah. So maybe let's let's start with Stumptown spring. Uh, they had so, like, it, it, for 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 listeners that that may not be totally checked into what to what happened at Stumptown this year. They basically put together a roster the first week of April, uh, and then they were at the Legends Cup, and they were they were the second day of the Legends Cup. Uh, so they didn't.
0: They didn't play the first day, and they were they were league run as well. Yes, and and April first is really late, really late yeah. to start putting the other team. Yeah, I mean, really
1: late. Camp camp opened for CFC around March the first, and it was the latest. I mean, it was pretty late compared to, uh, compared to our first professional year and our you know in twenty twenty two starting early February, uh, so like. They basically, and like the Legends Cup was not just a preseason tournament. I mean, like it kind of, it kind of was for some teams, but like there were stakes, there were stakes involved, and we were the beneficiary of those stakes. Uh, what was that word? Beneficiary. <laughs> I, th- I don't think I said it right
0: the first time. <laughs> I'm not sure what you said, but it was not that word.
1: <laughs> uh, we were the beneficiary of those stakes, so it wasn't just a preseason tournament. Uh, but like, so th- they put together the roster and immediately, immediately came to Chattanooga for the Legends Cup and within just i mean a week two weeks they were playing this this kind of coherent brand of of total football where uh and i, I was going to mention this earlier and i kind of i kind of moved on too quickly where the idea that just because you start out as we'll say the right-sided 8 uh, the in a 4-3-3 right, three, three. yeah so like you've got the 6 underneath uh, and then you've got two eights, kind of one a little bit left and a little bit above the six and one a little bit right and above the six. Just because you're the right-sided eight, you might end up playing at, you know, kind of on the touchline on the right-hand side. You might be playing in the middle. You might be playing pretty high at various moments because everyone's supposed to be moving around. Everyone's supposed to play with the ball uh, to pass which, which and is move the total, to find the total space. football. Yes. So... And I think that matters for characteristics of players that we're going to be looking for, and we can get to that in a second.
0: And that's how and that's how total football came to dominate. That's how the Dutch came to revolutionize things because they made it so people could uh, so people and players could interchange positionally during the game as moments happened, and everyone was like whoa because they, <laughs> they weren't expecting it. They didn't know what yeah. was coming. Yeah, it's 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 similar to how when the false nine happens, um, at first. For Spain and for uh, Barcelona, when the, when Leo Messi played and dropped in, everybody, you know, this not that no one had ever seen a small player play the false nine, but no one had ever seen someone play it like Messi played it. No yeah. one ever saw the false nine play like Cesc Fabregas played it, a center midfielder, right? And there's a total football angle to that, which is that players can play positions differently and interchange and bring different, uh, not just skill sets, but different uh strengths and weaknesses to how they play a position, not just their strengths and weaknesses, but how they play a position and can really unbalance a team if they're not ready for how it goes. So I'm, I'm excited for that part. I don't know if we're going to do anything revolutionary here, but so I think this is much more interesting tactically maybe than it appears on the surface.
1: So sometime in the spring, I think is, is how, I think it's how you build or how, how will looked to build CFC. He had a he had a, a forward, an actual classic number nine, kind of a target forward in Molly Carpe. Now, let's just get this right out of the way.
0: He was I, not great. I
1: don't think Molly Carpe is that good.
0: I also don't think he fit that system at all. all. Correct.
1: Uh, now he goes on to score six goals in the fall for Maryland Bobcats. So like, proving, what so yeah, like, yeah. So, so, what so, do we so do? Molly,
0: if somehow you hear about this, you know, shouts to you, man. Way to prove <laughs> Matt wrong uh, and me. But what he did do was provide specific. Attributes and specific strengths in that position that unbalanced teams obviously be- well.
1: It, it, what it did is because of his presence there, and because he was not dropping deep to collect the ball all the time, uh,
0: he gave him some. He, he
1: he gave he gave Stumptown to something to aim
0: at, which pulled defenders. They desperately needed, space. they
1: desperately did not have in the fall, uh, but it also kept defensive lines a little bit further back, and it opened up gaps for yes. for people like Luis Garcia Sosa for. Uh, for Ismael Longo, or or for you
0: know surging players like Travis Ward and Alex McGrath. So if you think about like if you if you are playing against a defense that is trying to hold hold you back, and they're push able to push up high because your forward has dropped in false nine style to get the ball, the center backs can come really close to that center line and can push everybody closer, so that when you try to play the ball, there's not as much space for in between the center backs and the midfielders or just the defensive line in the midfielders. So it's harder to play passes because everything's in tighter. If your forward is making a run into space, those defenders have to track that run in case, in case you play it over top, right? There's a balancing act and playing onside and playing offside and, and, and holding that line. But if you're a danger to play in behind, or you're a danger to get a long pass in, I mean, one-on-one with the goalkeeper is the worst possible situation for, for a defense. So they're going to play deeper. So what, what you're saying is a hundred percent correct, in my opinion, for what was there were several things that were different about the fall, but they had nobody that made those runs the way he made those runs Yeah, in in the spring, whether they were capable of it or, or better players or whatever. They did not play that position the same way.
1: It, it just, it just reduced the amount of space in the fall that they had to work with. Yes. And that space, uh, the space that they had in the spring, they were able to take advantage of finding those gaps because it allowed their outside backs—I'm going talk about this more— it allowed their outside backs to join to join the play.
0: It all it also left a lot of space for a guy like Alex McGrath in the spring, who was not there in the fall, right? He, he, he the was fall?
1: there, but he, was, he wasn't playing very much. Okay. Was, I think he was injured a
0: little bit. So Alex McGrath in the spring was a standout player for me. He was one of the few players that I remember really clearly from the spring for them. He had a lot of space in the middle. He would get the ball. He would go on runs in the middle with the ball or or playing one twos. Yeah, he he, he he had the space to be able to progressively run with the ball and he really did he was really dangerous and really do, dominant he had, he had 3 goals. Dominant may not be the right word, but he was he stood out in that midfield for how much time he spent on the ball for how he progressed the ball and 3 goals in the sp- in the spring or in the fall? In in the spring. So then that yeah, that proves what I saw um at least I, I thought I saw which was a, a player that was Doing a really good job of being dangerous in that space because if Molly's stretching that that defense, there's a bunch of space that can be exploited, and it, he was one of the guys who really exploited that space.
1: If you think about the goal that Stumptown scored against us at our at our place, in I'd rather not. <laughs> go, ahead, in, go ahead. This is in the spring, not not in the fall. Uh, the, our defense is is not pinned back uh, because th- there's a turnover that happens, uh, but our defense is pretty far back they're able like there's a driving run and a ball slipped out to I believe it's Travis Ward uh and then he's able to he's able to cut it back to Luis Garcia Sosa but there's but like Garcia Sosa is i think at the top of the at, at the top of the uh top of the box and and he's you know there's several there's several yards of space before the defensive line uh and and just because like that gap opened up uh not checking runs and like Defenses have to, to have to track runs like crazy in, in in Rod's system because players are constantly making runs, constantly interchanging.
0: You have to have great communication, uh, and it's a pretty offensive system. So yes. they're not. You don't have five players sitting back. Correct. No, I mean like you have you have real, realistically two or, two or maybe three players. back.
1: Realistically, you have the center backs both staying home. You've got the six that also stays home to protect them. Uh, rarely does the six go forward in in Rod's system, um, and then you usually have. So if the ball, we'll say the ball's on the left-hand side. We'll say it's the left uh we'll say it's the left back that's that's pretty high overlapping. The right back in Rod's system is kind of tucked in, almost as an auxiliary 6. Uh to provide a little like a little bit more numbers in the middle of the field. Uh because if the ball let's say let's say the cross comes in the ball's cleared. Uh and and let's say there's a forward up there that is able to win the first ball. We want the system wants to have numbers, kind of almost clustering, to win the ball back immediately, as as you know the off, the newly offensive team is rushing forward. So if I'm a so if that we can kick it right back out, if and, I'm and a soccer
0: fan that's not super into um, tactics, what's the difference between a team that presses uh, to to turn the ball back over, like uh, basically a counter press, not even uh, not even like a, a who 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 basically presses to win the ball a la Guardiola or many German managers. And this is, these are generalities or, uh, a manager that doesn't press at all. Like Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this past year, which just, and I guess I'm going to answer my own question here sprints back and gets behind the ball. So,
1: well, I don't really know how to, how to start with this one actually. So you like, I'll, let me take it in CFC terms. Uh, CFC in 2021, rarely pressed, uh, We did a little bit in the beginning parts of the year. Certain
0: moments and certain
1: games, but but in general, we were not a pressing team. We were, we valued we valued numbers behind the ball. So anytime there was a turnover, uh, the the goal at least was to have, you know, if there are offensive players that are forward, to have them sprint back and get behind the ball, because we believe between and when he says behind
0: the ball, he means between the ball and our and, and our goal.
1: In a, in a in a formation in a defensive position in a, in a defensive formation position but between the ball and, and the waiting
0: goal. and waiting for the chance to take the ball away to make a tackle to yeah. whatever. so there are there are other teams which uh, by the way is a very effective way if you have numbers wise There are kind of two different ways if you have numbers behind the ball or you can either make a play or have numbers behind the ball to change the odds and having numbers behind the ball is a really good way to make the odds in your favor when defending if you have six defenders for four uh, versus four attackers, You are more likely to win that battle. Other
1: teams, uh, a a few other teams would, when when the ball is when they lost the ball on offense, would immediately press. Players would step up high, try to go. You know, one person would go on the ball. Others would try to take other men if it was a man-to-man kind
0: of system, and try to get the ball back as quickly as possible. Quickly as as possible, and not not waiting for them to come forward, running towards them in their own half, trying to create a turnover. To to counteract the turnover that just happened. So as soon as you, there's a turnover that happens, so let's say I've got the ball and I'm coming up the wing and I turn the ball over, instead of running back to get on defense or running while the ball's cycling around or the ball's going wherever, I'm running towards whoever just took the ball from me or the nearest player that that player might pass the ball to while someone else is running straight to that player and trying to turn that ball over and get it back immediately and, and not allow the team to go forward. But it's also risky because if, if you're running towards the ball... And a couple of good passes get made, suddenly they're in a, maybe they're in a six on four or a six on three, and you've got everybody up the field who got bypassed by cause they stepped forward instead of backwards. So it's a it's a risky proposition, but most of the best teams in the world, not all of them, but most of the best teams in the world play in some sort of pressing fashion. Now, some may press more, press less, different situations, but most teams nowadays and most of your famous managers, Guardiola principally, but Klopp as well. They, they press differently, but they both press the ball went to, to turn over and to get the ball back. And then like Rod said on his podcast, there are moments of transition and you have to control the moments of transition. When, when you're transitioning from offense to defense and Fuller talked about this as well on the podcast, there's four moments to a game. I think he called and you could correct me if I remember this a little bit wrong, but there's, when you have the ball and you're attacking, when they have the ball and you're defending. And then when you're transitioning from offense to defense, and you're transitioning from defense to offense. Yeah. Those are your four moments in the game that Fuller talked about. And it's how you handle those four moments it, that changes the idea of pressing versus sitting back. And I don't think actually either one is wrong. I think different teams are built different ways. and You have to play different players in different like ways in order to make that work. And I think last year's team, I don't know if they were really set up to press super well. Um when I I, say set up, I, would, I would
1: say we, I would say we weren't.
0: And when I say set up I don't mean just like tactically. I mean like were they suited to pressing? I don't know about that. Um, we were we were a good defensive team and for large portion of the season not a great offensive team. And one of the reasons we were good defensively is because we had three good center backs. Um, but our our midfielders were more offensive. They were less are like our, Tate and Juan, are neither one is a terrible defender, but neither one is a plus defender. Unless you put Tate at right back, in which case he he because his defensive attributes get a little better at right back, I think. But neither out, one is outside
1: a, backs and center midfielders. The same things here. they just get do, out of here. They just do different stuff.
0: But neither one neither one of those guys is who's um who's a who's a just a destroyer, Wilfred Ndidi, N'Golo Conte. neither one of those I was, guys. I was going to say,
1: like think of someone like Matt Aldred. Matt, absolutely. C- good call. CFC.
0: Great call, Matthew. Neither one of those guys has, and Matt Aldred, by the way, couldn't do the things offensively that either one of those guys can do at all. But they're very different types of players. Matt Aldred would play that, that double pivot role very differently. And I think that's what's going to be interesting in a Rod Underwood system is how is he going to ask that six to play or those... Or if he somehow does decide to play a double pivot of some kind, how does he ask those two six slash eights to play, and how are our players? Because I, you know, I don't know that Tate in a double pivot is great. Tate in a single, if you're playing really offensively, is very good. Uh, if you're playing. Man, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean I'll be interested you to see mean, how You mean he, you mean like the type of the type of six that drops in, collects the ball and distributes yes. it and then holds holds his holds his ground. So I do think Tate can do that especially with his long ball distribution. Uh I think that we'll see Tate out wide at right back a lot more because I think he's a plus right back and a good he's a good center midfielder and a good player. I think he's a better right back at this at this level and the next level, especially his ability to hit a ball with his right foot coming in if he can give more service from the right side across the field, that will be really valuable. And I just I expect that we'll sign some more center midfielders, maybe some guys that are a little more physically dominant to play that six uh, that six role, and maybe some guys that can cover because you know take covers ground, but not like your top tier athletic guys. And I wonder if we'll get a couple top tier athletic guys that whose maybe their principal attribute is covering ground. I mean, Alex McGrath covers a ton of ground a ton of ground as a as a wing winger ish eight a wingerish eight yeah
1: so okay let's let's do let's do one thing right now
0: uh and, and tate tate doesn't that's not to say he couldn't so i'll be interested to see what what tate does in a rod underwood system is kind of a better way to say that
1: i think i think there's one more difference that makes sense for Stumptown spring and Stumptown fall uh because the system was mostly the same it was kind of like this four uh, th- i mean it's kind of that that four three three uh we would we would classify it um uh, I would classify it more as like a four, three, two, one, uh, especially in the fall, because they truly one of the big differences about Stumptown in the, in the fall and the spring is the fall version had like truly three defensive midfielders, uh, like uh, Giovanni Barano Navia, who wore the number twenty three for Stumptown, was their six in both in both times. He was their lone six, um. Uh, he was not you that not that crazy involved in build up, although a little bit. But he sat in. He protected the center backs, and he really did not move very often. And he certainly didn't go forward. And he didn't drift from side to side. I mean, he was truly holding right, extremely in extremely positionally disciplined. Yes, uh, and I think that's actually that's super important for uh, it's super important for for Pep Guardiola with Manchester City. Look at Rodri, not the most mobile player, but but smart, reads the game well. And doesn't ever leave that position.
0: And you look at what Fernandinho, Fernandinho and, Rod, and Rodri play that position very differently, but in, they do similar things, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Yes. Is they protect, they really protect that defense, especially because those center backs sometimes do push forward and do go on a wander. And you got to have a guy like, uh, Rodri, who's going to be in and around that area. If they do go wandering to step in, to push yeah. up, well, Yeah, especially,
1: whatever. especially because the outside backs, you can just pretty much guarantee aren't going to be in the picture. If assuming you have the ball and you're in the attacking third, but
0: Kyle Walker will come very quickly into the picture. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, 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 he's a, fast that's nice folks. Aside. He's very good. So, uh, if you think about Travis Ward and Alex McGrath, uh, kind of, they played those kind of winger, winger eight positions. In and I spring. Say, and I'm, yes. And I'm, and I'm using winger eights because they were the, they were the two eights above, above the six, but at times they were on the sideline or, or, or they were, I mean, in total football, they're just gone. Uh, they 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 weren't always there. Yeah, they pushed wide a lot. Uh, a thing a thing that was different in the fall is a new signing came in, Colin Stripling. Uh, he played mostly the left sided at eight. Uh, Jared Odenbeck came in on loan from from Tucson. He's a local a local Charlotte player.
0: Jared Odenbeck who played Jared Odenbeck who played OG OG Stump. Yeah, with, with Tate. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know he went to Tucson.
1: Yeah, he was at Tucson for for the first half of twenty twenty one. Uh, so he so he comes back in as well. McGrath, I believe, is hurt. Uh, Molly
0: Carpe goes to Bobcats, and they move Travis Ward up to the nine. Which uh, he said, <laughs> he said in, which is interesting, uh, he said they viewed him as a right back slash left back in uh like Like, a, like a, w- a winger
1: or an outside back. And he played, well,
0: Travis it, Ward played as
1: a left back in the Legends Cup for a game. That's some wild, that's some wild <laughs> shit, man.
0: If, so, if, if listeners could see my face right now, that's some wild shit.
1: So, uh, no, hey, nines are outside backs, Matthew. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, so those, but like Stripling and Odenbeck are really like, they're, they're really more central midfielders and they don't have, neither of them have, I don't think the, the, the true kind of versatility that you want in an ideal system. I think Stripling's more of a,
0: a six, eight and not an eight, 10.
1: Yeah. I, I would say Odenbeck's the same way.
0: See, I don't, I don't have a lot of opinion on Odenbeck. I I remember watching his video and not being super impressed. Not not saying he's a bad player. I just he didn't stand out to me. Uh, but I do remember Stripling and thinking he's a really good player. Except when Damian, Damian I'm calling him uh <laughs> took his entire family history and just trashed it. I mean, that that <laughs> poor man's family is going to be embarrassed for him forever on how Damien did him. Dirt, Damian did him dirty on that play and, and crossed in for an own goal. Actually, I'm gonna I'm giving that goal to Damien for Damien's first ever goal. Or second-ever second goal, excuse me.
1: <laughs> You're a wild
0: man. So those... Not those, as wild as what Damian did? Okay. Th-
1: those players are are just more... They're more central players. They don't have... They're, they're just not suited to being on on the outside, kind of isolated in space, both with the ball or without the yeah, ball.
0: Yeah, Colin Stripling is a very different player from, player from Alex McGrath. Alex McGrath's much more of an 8-10. Yeah. He, he, he's much more... And, and both those guys are good with the ball, good at their feet, whatever. But they're... they're def- yeah. They're... Other coaches would play stripling at the six or in a p- double pivot. and You'd be comfortable with that. I would be stripling would have fit in great and fuller system as part of that double pivot. Agreed. Uh, I don't. And Alex McGrath does not fit as well in the fuller double pivot. For example, he would fit as a player because he's a good player, but he would not fit the same role.
1: I, I would have imagined that he would have probably played more of that right midfield type yes. role for us. That yes. uh, had, had little, he been on the team. That's yeah. a little bit more two way. It's very similar to how he played as that right-sided eight for for yes uh, for Stumptown,
0: it also explains a little bit of how, like you were saying, Stumptown played differently from spring to fall. In the fall, they played m- with their eights much more as sixes. They stayed narrow more often, yeah, and they stayed home more often.
1: The outside backs had the same responsibility of going forward and and all the, the
0: providing width
1: and things like that. But and they, and, well, they didn't
0: have many center backs on that team.
1: No, they did not.
0: So they they I mean, Stripling played a little bit at center back. He played. He played. Stripling played a game at center back. Uh, but like Reese, Williams, Williams, who, I, who I really like was playing left back, who is a right back. He He's a, he's a good left back. He's a great right back. And this is a shout out to Matthew for pointing him out to me. Like he's a really good player who I wish would come to Chattanooga, <laughs> but, uh, I, I have a feeling his, um, his aspirations are higher and they should be. He's, he's a, he was probably a top two right back in the league after, after Kevin Venegas, he's probably the. Right back, I like the, the second most on any other team. So, I, I suspect that he would be uh, aiming to go going somewhere else. I mean, like not <laughs> well aiming to go to that second division, right? Like, yeah, every player. And if he falls to us, awesome. But I, he's the kind of he's the kind of guy similar to how I explained Nick Spielman. I hope he, I hope he moves on from here. Not because I don't think he's good enough. It's specifically because I think he his ceiling is higher than here, and yeah. I think Reese Williams' ceiling is higher than Nisa. Not just here in Chattanooga, but higher than Nisa. Yeah. So.
1: Uh, so the, yeah, so Stumptown was playing right back at left back. They were playing a left, left, back, at left back, back at center back. They were playing a center back, uh, and then they were playing a guy who I don't rate crazy high. Uh, he's kind of a center back slash right back. Probably would be a right center back in a back three. Uh, and Robert Hines playing him at right back. And so, I mean, if you want to talk about a, a defense that on paper should not be good. Those defenders individually were not I don't think are great. But what it did do and what the system did do was it took control of games. So the amount of chances they were having to deal with. I mean, and, and three central th- three central midfielders in front of them also help with this, right? But like the, the system they created allowed them to be I mean, like how many goals did they give up? Like 13 so, stump- or 18, so 18. Stumptown
0: in the in the fall gave up 18 goals, which one per game. Yeah, it's it's a very good defense. It is the second best defense or third best defense, excuse me, in the league. So if you look at Detroit allowed ten, uh LA Forest allowed fourteen, Stumptown allowed eighteen, we allowed twenty-one. Our defense was genuinely good. It was the fourth best defense in the league, but eighteen is three goals better. And you, what they didn't do was score a lot in the um in the fall. They only scored thirteen goals in the fall. Now, Rod, oh, a
1: lot for the reasons that we've already mentioned not having not yeah, having Rod, a recognized forward, not having.
0: Rod said that it, on on the podcast that it was because they didn't have a recognized forward, and I buy a lot of that. Also, sometimes you make tactical decisions that make one side of your game better, and I I think that some of the tactical decisions you're talking about, which is playing three six slash eights as your three defensive midfielders or one six and two eights, as opposed to what would have been one six and two ten ish players, right? Two players who get forward a lot more in the spring. It's yeah. just it's choosing to make different tactical decisions that I, I don't actually blame them because the defense worked. And he he said they never did work on uh, on defense. They did maybe five training sessions the whole year, which is a wild thing to say. Um, but let's pretend that, that that's true. You're still choosing how to set up a team, and you're choosing to have a good defense by how you set that team up. And I think that's a a really reasonable way. Not that I want Chattanooga to score 13 and allow 18 because that's a, that's not good. But if you look at the spring and I'll click through here on my computer to, to go to the spring, Stumptown spring, when they had a forward and they had just thrown together this, by the team, way,
1: a forward that did not score a goal for them.
0: Right. Which is wild. He went and scored a bunch of goals in the fall. Didn't score any in the spring, but they were the third best team in, in, in Nisa in the spring, short season, eight games, but it still counts. I mean, they were good. They had eight goals scored, four goals conceded. So they had the second best defense. So Detroit had three goals allowed in the spring. Sometown allowed only four goals in the spring. They scored eight, which was not, which was right at middle of the pack. But if you only allow four goals and you score eight, and if you score two goals for every one, you concede, you're going to be pretty damn good. Yeah. And, I'll, and, and no matter, I'll, no matter how that shakes out.
1: I'll also add, if you count the three legends cup games, uh, they gave up only two goals in the legends um, cup in the legends cup.
0: So if you can, and, I, and I'll just leave legends cup out of it um, just because it's, it's harder for me to pull it up and look at it <laughs> and whatever else. Yeah. But I just want to point out, like if we're looking at going forward and we're looking at goals and this is like not goal scored, like goals for CFC that we want them to have and want them to do. If you said to me like Andrew, it doesn't matter how many goals we score next season, but we will score two goals for every one. We, we allow that's good. We'll be a good to, even if that total, let's say we play 30 games. Let's say we play, 25 games. If we play 25 games, no, that's a hard number. 24 games. So we be like 24. If we have, if we allow 12 and we score 24 in 24 games, we won't be the best team in the league probably, but we will be in that hunt because we will have a lot of games where we shut play shut teams out. Yeah. And if you shut teams out, it's real hard to lose. And I know I, no one likes a draw, but draws are better than losses. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not predicting that. I'm not asking for not scoring. He said 35, 40, 50 goals at Chattanooga, right? He said, that's what they want to do. I'm not predicting that either. But obviously if you if you solve the defense first, the offense is less important. And that doesn't mean it's not important. But winning trying to boat race every team is not a recipe that wins in most leagues in the world. So I like the idea of having a defense and that's one thing that carries over between the two seasons. Sometimes of the third best defense uh in one season and the second best defense in the other season as far as your your league seasons for 2020 and I think or 2021 excuse me Uh, and I think both of those things bode well that we will see a good defensive team from CFC in 2022 uh, or they will be set up in a way that 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 usually builds a good defense and the kind of the question is how do we score goals because Stumptown in the fall did not score goals and in the spring they did they scored a few yeah so okay well they did they scored eight goals in eight matches isn't a ton but they only allowed four. Here's, and no one scored a bunch of goals. Like Detroit scored fourteen in the spring, LA Four scored eleven, Cal United scored twelve. Which okay, but that's only those are eight matches played. No one was scoring a bunch of goals. The middle of the pack was eight, nine, eight. So like the they yeah. were right in the center. If we're if you're the second best defense in the league and in the middle for goals scored, you're probably going to be up there in the table. Yeah, which they were. They were third place. They were clearly third place. By the way, they were one. They were. Uh, yeah, they were third place. They had uh, four wins, three draws, and one loss. I mean, they only lost one game in the spring.
1: Yeah. So, here's uh, what I want to do before we before we start reclassifying players, and we kind of already have for a few of them. Uh, I think there are six positions that that make up uh, the team that that Rod's going to to put on the field in 2022. You've got a goalkeeper, obviously. That's a, that's a position class. You've got center backs uh, and the way, and the way that Rod wants to play, sometimes center backs are better on the right and a back four. Sometimes they're better on the left, uh, but probably he's not, and he's not
0: played a three man at all that we know of, right? No,
1: not, not that I can, not that I can tell. So I'm projecting a back four. I'm, I would bet money that he wants center backs that can play left or right. And just doesn't matter because he wants them to be good enough with their feet and, and make good decisions, whatever it is. You're like, so there's center backs. There's a left back. There's a right back. There's, uh, I should have said six outfield positions, because we're gonna have seven now that I do this with my my hands. Uh, How are you gonna do that with the other hand, Matt? We're gonna have the the six, and and I mean like I don't I don't not in a pivot. I mean like a true holding, lone six. Uh, There's gonna be what I'm calling the winger eights, which are the two eights in front of the six, but that can play out wide. They can you know kind of be a ten at times, but like they're they're that all around central midfield. Can play wide, then you've got the winger tens, which are nominally the two players underneath the, the the classic number nine. And I'm saying classic number nine because I think the way to make the way to make this team the most well rounded as possible, you probably need to have some some sort of like back to goal number nine, both as an outlet as a release point, uh, and because. I, I think one of the limits and, and we'll look at Manchester city here. I think one of the limits of not having kind of a true number nine is at times when they're not being creative enough, they have not been able to force things like teams have been able to just sit in, pack it in. Now, sometimes they get blown to bits. Look at, you know, Leicester or, uh, who was the other one? They lost seven, zero
0: recently. I forget. Uh, but like sometimes you get blown to bits, but other times, it's really, really hard to score. And you know what Manchester City has done, little side note, is their defense is the best defense in the Premier League. Yeah. And they do that while still being the best offense Correct. in the league. Correct.
1: Yeah, that's a nice aside. But like at, at times, you know, if the if the defense can just sit in and bunker and like just take away all the space in the attacking third, at times you need to be able to put the ball in the air. Yes. And, and have somebody so be
0: able to knock it down to create space. The, the ability to change the change of pace, the tool off the tool the, in the tool belt that I, I like to say, Manchester, Manchester City do not have that. Correct. As, at the nine position. And that's by choice. And and that is a choice that I hope Rod Underwood does not make. I think that's a error from Pep Guardiola. I don't think they need to start a number nine. I want to be clear. I don't think Manchester City needs a needs a number nine to start. But they need the option They need one. the option to bring one off the bench. Like we
1: we did not have a true target man at CFC in twenty twenty one. It was not a tool in our tool belt and we needed one. We, we needed one.
0: And so did and so did Rod's Stumptown and, and, team.
1: And and Stumptown's fall team desperately needed a central forward of any of any stripe
0: whatsoever. Yeah, but especially somebody who would run into space, hold guys up, occupy those center backs, stretch the defense. Yes. So exactly what Molly Carpe did all all spring, and, even, and though even though, he though didn't and score even a bunch though of goals. we didn't
1: think he was good at it, and even though he didn't score any goals, what he did do was allow rest, create space everyone for everybody to score goals. else. Yes. So so those are the
0: which, positions Which proves you and I idiots. By yeah.
1: By the way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. I, I think those are the kinds of things you're you're looking for. So let's let's go through the players that we have returning, the eight we have. Uh Reddington's going to be the, you know, going to be a keeper, so wait, that's not changing.
0: Your your seven positions. I think it actually center, might center backs? Center backs. Outside backs. Outside backs. 6 6 8 10s 10s and a nine. And a nine. Okay, so you're you're counting your wingers, your winger slash tens as the same type of position. Yes. Your, your, eight, your eight slash the same wingers. Types. Your six is a lone type of position. Yes. Your outside backs are the same. And I, I think that's mostly correct because of how he plays. He played a right back at left back. He played, you know, center backs uh, of a particular kind. Guys who were good with the ball. Yes. And he, they tended to murder you with possession. Yes. They, and, and in like a good way. Like they didn't give the ball up stupidly they got the ball back when they needed to and they didn't allow a lot of chances because you just didn't have the ball very much. Correct.
1: Correct. So Reddington uh, at, at keep returning at keeper of, of this group. And, and like, this might be some, a place for, for, for some conversation. Nick Spielman uh, center back. We did play him a little bit at the six. And I think in moments he could be a six, but I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that like he stays as a center back. In in Rod's system, because because the center backs are more important for for ball progression through passing than the sixes.
0: So as far as players that fit Rod's system, out of the players we're bringing back, I think Spielman is one of the players that fits that fit both Fullers and fit Rod's system yeah, seamlessly. Okay. Yes, um, he is an he's a very good player. The, his one weakness is he's not super fast, but he is exceptional positionally. He's good with both feet. He's good technically. He reads the game very well. Yep. He's very good at tackling, at making plays. He's strong physically. All of those things translate in both systems, no matter how you play. And they, he might even be better in Rod's system, and he was probably the standout player. He was the one player that made the um, all best... all for the fall. Yeah, the All-Nisa team for the fall. Um, he was the... He might be the standout player from the year, overall spring, fall, in, and actually last two years, really. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, but he's... I think he'll fit seamlessly into, and I, I have a feeling that you will see him, if we don't sign a left-footed center back, you will see him play some left center back because he can do that. He's good with both feet and he reads the game well. And in Rod's system, it's less important, I think. I, I would be interested to hear what he says about this, but Fuller found it very important to have a left-sided player, a left-footed player playing on the left side. And I think that's, Important for a lot of coaches. I don't think it's as important. I think I
1: think I think, I think a, Rod's going to look at a center back and say, if you can't play the ball with either foot comfortably, you're not yes, playing for me.
0: Yes, and it, when you look at what what has how Pep Guardiola plays his center backs, does he prefer if he has an easy choice to play left sided and right sided players as left footed and right footed? Yes, but he plays right footed footers all the time at left center back, and he also sometimes plays a left. I mean, he'll occasionally play a left sided left footed player at right at right center back. If, if he only has two left footer, footers footers. Yeah, yeah. Like he's not worried about that. and I'm not either. I don't think as long as you're a good soccer player and Nick Spielman is a very good soccer player.
1: So let's move to, we talked about James Kasach playing a lot of left midfield and a little bit of left back. I think in rod system, he's going to be one of those left backs that you're going to see pretty high almost all the time. I mean, think about like we talked about Reese Williams kind of bombing up really the left and the right hand side. Uh, as as an outside backs that is that is James Kasach in a nutshell like don't ask him to don't ask him to like the system will hopefully have us on the ball more in possession attacking a lot uh, and not you know sitting in deep defensively
0: yeah I think
1: I think it makes total sense for him as an actual left back Um, and 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 probably will fit him a little bit better yes uh Kind of like how it, it fit the fuller system when him as a left midfielder fit. Yes. Because uh, they all must be doing the same yeah. types of things. So
0: if you're sitting deep and you're asking James Kasach to sit deep, you're wasting who James Kasach is, which is he's a very creative offensive player that is a good athlete. He's good He's good technically with both feet, and he's very creative. I mean, why did he have eight primary assists? Nine. Why did he have nine primary assists? Yeah. Like and and the matches by the way that's not yeah, an, that's not even an, amateur that's stuff. not including amateur matches so and and that was by far the highest assist number in the team if James Kasach wasn't ticking our offense until the end of the season when Damian came on when Damian came on <laughs> every time I, Fuller I love you but fuck you man for getting <laughs> that stuck in my head um, for uh, for for James Kasach, if you're sitting deep you're wasting it, it's a little bit like sitting deep with Zhao Cancelo like. You have a very, very good offensive player. Danny Alves. Danny Alves. Sitting deep with Danny. Alves. Why would you sit deep? Like, those players can defend. It's not that they're incapable. They're actually probably pretty good at but it. They're, but, like, but they're dominant going forward. Yes. So you want... And that's why you played him uh, as a left wing back. That's why... One of the reasons why we played a left... We played for most of the season before... But again, before with Kyle the back, came with on. With a back three. With a back three because we had three very good center backs... Or three players that that were nominally center backs that played those positions very very well in a three man, and you you were able to play to James Casas. It's not only him, but his best position was left wing back, and he was dominant in a lot of those games. Not in every game, but no one's dominant in every game. But in a lot of those games at left wing back, the whole offense ran through him. And I think that you will see him as a left back in Rod system fit in seamlessly. Assuming, I mean, I assuming he. No, no, not assuming anything. Like, he should fit in perfectly. He should fit he in should perfectly. Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't think there's...
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what I was going to say there. I, don't, there <laughs> I, I felt like I had a caveat, but I don't. Like, I think that pos- yeah. in a possession-based system, he will only get better. Uh, and I don't think he fit very well as a left back in Fuller's system because he was kind of wasted sitting back and we sat back behind the ball and we didn't press. Now, I don't know how good of a presser he is. I don't know how good of a pressing player he is because I've never seen him do it. I'm going to assume that Rod's going to help him and or he's just going to turn it on and be a good presser, a good presser of the ball. But if we are on the ball more, James Kaysak should be better is the the whole thing. Yes. Because what he did was create chaos in possession and in transition. And we should be in transition and dominating those transitions if we play like Rod says we, we want to play and we should be in possession more, thereby going to his strengths more often. So I expect he will be an even better fit in Rod's system than he was in Fuller's system. And it wasn't like he was a bad fit in Fuller's system until yeah. we kind of went to a four-man where, again, not fully wasted, but not his best system.
1: Uh, the other one, we, we talked about Tate Robertson uh, as a right back. I think I think with this group, kind of for for similar reasons, although he plays a little, I think he'll play a little bit differently than KSAC will. Like, I imagine that KSAC will get to the byline more often than, than Tate Robertson. Um, but... Like, I, I see the balance. I see I see the balance there for, for those two particular guys. Uh, I think I think it's... And, and like, listen, we could sign a dominant right back. Like, let's just say we go out and sign Reese Williams. Okay, you're going to use Reese Williams at the right back and Tate becomes one of one of those central midfielders somewhere. He becomes somewhere. either
0: a six or an eight. But also, you've also got him now for cover. Yes. So I think Tate's going to be extra valuable. He actually shouted out Tate on the podcast yep. with you guys. He said he was one of the most valuable players in the league. Uh, and he said that uh, you know, he really liked Tate. So I think we will see Tate play a lot of minutes. I expect it will be a right back unless we sign a dominant right back. Because I, as I mentioned earlier, I think he's a, a higher level right back than he is even a central midfielder. But if we sign a dominant right back, I think he'll get a lot of minutes in central midfield because I think he's well suited to play the six depending, of course, depending on how he asked him to play it. But I think he's could fit that six role that sits. Um, I don't think it's his best position, but I think he could do it depending on who the eights are. And I think he could play one of those eights absolutely, especially if that eight is asked to shade out to the right side. Yeah. Because as he proved this year, playing on the uh, as part of a pivot on the left and the right, he can shade out very well to cover defensively and to provide width. And a, a guy that can play right back shading out to provide width is very much in their element. And and your whole eights are eights are are outside backs. Like it, it fits. And I think he will play a lot of minutes. I think he'll be very important. And I expect he will be a starter, whether it's in the midfield or right back. I just think that there are more midfielders out there. Um, yeah. And I think that we will look to, I, I'm just a total guess, but I think we'll look to start him at right back because we will have a lockdown right back and a lockdown left back, like a, starters of those positions, plus Nick Spielman at one of the center backs um, that we're leaving out Richard Dixon here. Um, but you have three lockdown players like, Starters on that back line coming back, and I just expect that's kind of how they will look at it. But we'll see.
1: So let's move on to um, let's move on to to Richard Dixon and Juan Hernandez because I think I think there's more there there could be more debate about these two guys than really anyone uh, and anyone left of the returners, which is just really Brett and Damien. So Richard Dixon can be uh, can be a center back in a, in a back four, mm. although I don't think it's his best. Possession can also be a right back can also be a right back can also be a six. And if I look at, and also let's remember like Richard Dixon is, is what? 30, 32, 31. Uh, you know, he's, he's got some miles on his legs and he's got a history in, and especially 2019 and 2020 in the first part of 2021 of some injuries. Uh, he was very, very healthy, uh, through the summer and fall and very influential. Thankfully. Um, but I, I think I think there'll be there'll be some look at where where is he is he best suited and it could just be on based on players that are around him, uh, other players other players on the team. Uh, but where is he best suited and where is he least likely to rack up a ton of miles on his legs?
0: Mm. Uh, and I think I
1: think playing as a right back will rack up miles on his legs,
0: especially in Rod's system. Yes, and the reason that Fuller had said. I don't think he said on the podcast, I think he said it to us privately, but this isn't a secret. One of the reasons he played him at right center back and not right back was that they wanted to keep one of CFC's most influential players on the field. And one of the best ways to do that was to ask him to do less running. Yeah. And so moving him from right back to to right center back really maximized his health in theory. And I think the results show that. It also got
1: one of our, one of our better players on the ball more compared to the amount of touches that he got at right center back versus right wing. Correct. We're far, far more.
0: And in the midfield too, towards the end of the season. Yes. And in the midfield, he did, he did do a lot of, a lot more running in fuller system. I think you're right. And I think this is where you're going. We're going to see him summit right center back. We saw him a little bit at left center back. Don't forget during the year. (laughs) And I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him occasionally there because you're going to play players that have good judgment and good athleticism. uh, And I think that he fits in a lot of places. So you're going to play those players when you, when the chips are down and you need help. And Rod played, um, he played center backs all over the place. He played center midfielders all over the place yeah. to cover things. So I think he'll see him a little bit everywhere, but I suspect the six and right center back are where you'll see him most of the time. Uh, and where I hope you'll see him most of the time, but here's the thing. I hope that we see him, um, in a, I hope that we build a team where he is the extra player, and we've talked about this before off off air. But where he, you build a, a system in which he is not a starter, and then he ends up a starter because he's one of the best players.
1: But yeah, all, I mean, it's, it's the idea that like you can select your ideal eleven perfectly, like every, everyone's in their perfect positions. Whatever else is, and you better have two other guys who that, can are, that are starting level quality that can play positions. like like two three positions, so that. You know, because you're not going to have the same starting lineup for 30 for thirty straight games. It's not going to happen. And So
0: he's going to end up starting 25 of these games anyway. And I think that you're going to look at a guy, I think you actually look at like a guy like Tate like that. Um, guys with positional, like we've said, he could start in center midfield. He could start at right back. We're not saying he's a right back that could occasionally start. We're saying he's starter level at both positions, probably. Richard Dixon is starter level at probably three positions. Um, the six right center back and right back and can cover a few others. So if you build a team with him as the extra guy and he just ends up starting, you have a much better team because whoever he's pushing to the bench or whoever he's starting in case of, in place of because they're hurt or because they're tired or whatever, you as a team have less of a drop-off. Whereas if you build him as the right center back, the next guy's not likely to be as versatile and as good at as many positions. So finding that guy to be quote-unquote off the bench, we're using just roster building terms. Yeah. Because I, I still think Richard Dixon is going to start if we play 35 games, I expect he'll start 26 of them. assuming he's healthy, 26 or 28 of them, he'll get a couple rests for to keep him healthy. Yeah um, but you know, I, I just expect he'll start kind of everywhere in the six and and or right center back, I think my
1: is. my projection I think is 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 more of a six because and because he can we can use one of the ways you keep the miles off of his legs is you just you just tell him sit in there, protect the center backs. Uh, and, and I, I think another, an interesting component is of, of the, of the defenders and midfielders that we have returning, I would say that Richard is probably, he's probably the least technical in terms of a like, technical quality of, 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 any of those guys. Now, and, and that's not a shot at Richard, like the whole, the whole idea for Rod bringing back, back players, you look at everybody and they can all play with the ball at their feet.
0: And that is, that is the common characteristic. That is,
1: and that is, that is what he wants. He wants everyone what he to said. play football. Yeah. And if you looked at, if you looked looked at Stumptown this year, I think the six was involved, maybe the least, in terms of in terms of like the, the offensive possession and build up play. So if you if you ask him to if you ask him to just sit in, protect the center backs, uh, and, and not have to wander a ton, except every now and then in cover, you're I think you're protecting the mileage on his legs a little bit. You're uh, letting more technically proficient players at your at your center back positions who are progressively the ball with with their passing. Uh, your outside backs are, are are obviously doing tons and tons of running and and passing and, and playing, but this I think the system really hinges on the two eights. Think about Manchester City. I mean, it's mostly Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva doing a ton of that work as opposed to a guy like Rodri. Yes. Uh, so I I think. I, I think it's the
0: six. Also, who do you trust on do, this roster so far to make the tactical foul? To Richard Dixon, nobody else. <laughs> to to step forward and take a risk to stop an attack. To mm-hmm. recover and stop an attack. To tell other guys where to go. That's all Richard Dixon, right? Yeah. And yeah. at the six, he's in the dead center of the park. I think it takes, in Rod's system and how we think he's going to play, I think it, it does maximize his abilities and his strengths. Uh, more than any other position, though I do think he will see a lot of minutes at right center back and probably some minutes at right back too.
1: Can I make Can I make a hot take here?
0: Yes, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm going to like it, but you can make it.
1: If Richard is the regular starting six, I think he's going to miss more than one game for yellow card accumulation. You would like that, wouldn't you?
0: Not Not him missing, but like the fact that he's getting is
1: yeah. winning. take. I mean, like tactical fouls and tactical fouls.
0: Juan Hernandez. Captain, leader, legend. The guy who's now the by far the most tenured guy on the roster, which is sad because it's sad to see other guys go, but also happy to see Juan back.
1: Also like 22 appearances away from the all-time appearance uh,
0: record. Nice. Raise one to you, Capitan. Yeah, I, I really, really hope we see him break that this year. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, so Juan's an interesting one for me. Uh because I don't know, I don't know if it's known exactly. At least in my head, where where Juan fits in uh, fits in best in, into the system, and and here's why. I you, think he was. You were, about to, you were about to chastise
0: me right there, weren't you? I'm about to say that I think we're going to disagree real hard. So go ahead and say your piece. Okay.
1: So if you think about. In the in the Fuller three four three, he played occasionally as that false nine. Very occasionally, only in only in those uh, I think only in the Independent Cup, uh, he played a little bit as one of those two tens underneath, uh, and and like he took that role, and and never like he never really went to the sideline. Like Brett Jones would go occasionally go to the sideline with that role at kind of a winger at times. Juan never really did that. Um, he stayed more he stayed more centrally uh, and and I, I don't know i don't know if i expect him to, to slot in as as one of our winger tens in the new year uh which kind of leaves him as a six or an eight and i think it might be a return to 2021 hernandez where he's kind of like the lone six. Not asked to do a ton of of running all over the place or anything like that. He kind of holds in, sits, reads the game, and distributes from there. Uh, and then you let the other central midfielders do a lot more of the two way running. Think, uh, think Andrea Pirlo. <laughs> I'm gonna go look right now. Think Andrea Pirlo. Uh, look, I know in, they both had
0: long hair and they both you know in, are, are foreign, in, in these, but.
1: Think, think of Andrea Pirlo in, in these Juve, in the Juventus days, t- really towards the end of his time with Juventus. He was he was the lone six, just kind of like there holding the shape, distributing the ball, kind of going where he wanted to in possession. And he had crazy fuckers next to him. I mean, Arturo Vidal, Paul Pogba, Cla-
0: Claudio, Claudio Marquisio.
1: They were the ones racking up the miles on their legs doing all kinds of the two-way work.
0: That was when your boy Antonio Conte Got it all done. Uh, the the yeah. first <laughs> manager that uh, co-hosts Smitty and Matt have simultaneously liked <laughs> at Spurs ever. That's not,
1: that's not true. Like We both like Pochettino. Okay,
0: that's fair. But he, Pochettino was not in charge when you both were big fans of him while we were doing this podcast.
1: Correct, correct, for sure. Uh, so so if you look at... And, and so here, here's why I say that, that I think the return of the six makes the most sense. I don't think he'll be one of those... I don't think he'll be one of those eights now in as, as it's constructed in my head of, of like, you've got the six, you've got winger eights, you got winger tens because I think the eights will require too much running I, at a point where, I mean, he wants 30, 31, like that. He's got miles in his legs already. And he's, I think he's better when
0: might be 32.
1: I I forget.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I no, forget. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, on that part.
1: Uh, but I, I just think he'll be better off in a, in a system where he doesn't have to to run and cover as much ground anymore. Uh, I mean, this is not this is not Juan 2016 playing at the top of a playing at the top of a diamond. The amount of running that was involved in that position in, in Bill Elliott's old system, um, uh, because I, also he's not going to want to play. He's not going to want to play on the sideline as well. if He's one of those winger eights, like that position. Like you have to end up everywhere on the field. And, and he's he's better when he's central, central yeah uh, so so maybe so maybe there's another there's another angle to this which is that maybe we don't play that four three three uh with with two eights and kind of two winger tens like maybe it's more of a four two three one or or a four three three with two sixes and a ten in which case like probably plays that ten roll uh you know the classic classic number ten static you know moves the ball through through passing and Finding finding gaps in the defense, like I think that could be really really good for him. I, I'm curious about what what your take is.
0: So here. we talked about players a little bit that, or we mentioned like Spielman for example fits both a Fuller system and a Rod Underwood system at least how we think it is flawlessly. We think he fits both. Um, I think Juan Hernandez. Did not ever fit a Fuller system. I
1: I would agree with that, by the way.
0: Fuller likes his midfielders, has always liked his midfielders to be extremely athletic, to cover all the ground in the world, and to be extremely positionally disciplined, and to make decisions to get rid of the ball and not take risks. Whereas, And he did not, from his center midfielders, ever emphasize possession. That's not a way he wanted to play. He wanted... Guys that would cover all the ground and and break up play and be chaos merchants
1: and could distribute the ball effectively to like further forward. Yes. Think, think
0: like Tate Robertson going on and the then diagonal go, to and James then go K. back. Yes, and he wanted guys that could recover too and, and catch up with a guy and take the ball away. He wanted a muscular, physical midfield. Fuller would be the kind of guy, the kind of coach that would play. And he he might not admit this, but this is this is my belief. He would play three you know murderers in midfield. Three just like stone cold killers who are destroyers, three destroyers, right? He would play three Mark Van Bommels who you're probably too young to remember <laughs> Mark Van Bommel playing it at, at Milan. But, um, and before that, it, I guess, high i I'm too young to remember that. Uh, but Mark Van Bommel, he, by the way, he was the player that had the longest tenure without picking up. You would have loved him. He'd been in your favorite player. He was, he had the longest tenure, um, To play, and I'm actually gonna revise this because he wouldn't play three Mark Van Bommel's, but Mark Van Bommel be his perfect six because he had he had the longest tenure of ever, ever of having, not having a red card, but having. Picked up like yellow card suspensions. He would have <laughs> he would lead the league in yellow cards and have never have a red card. That's fantastic. He would pick up a yellow card every game or every other game.
1: I he love would, that so uh, from the six. He
0: was just so good. But what what he was is really positionally disciplined and he broke up play and he made little passes and then he he stayed back. Um and Fuller would like two Engolo Contes and one Mark van Bommel and that would be his ideal midfield. Um <laughs> I and I that. and I I'm sure Rob would appreciate Martin van Bommel because I think he was much he he and Matt Aldred would are very very similar players. Yeah. Um as. Different, obviously, levels of, of play, but like type of players. But Angolo Conte, I'm sure Rod would love, but he's not Rod's ideal type of midfielder, right? Rod wants a guy who's really good in possession. Which Engolo Conte is okay in possession, but he's a destroyer, and I'm sure he Engolo Conte would play on both teams. But his attributes are athleticism and breaking up play, and those are the things that Fuller loves, and those are not, quite frankly, what Juan Hernandez is. Correct, and definitely not at this age. You know he he has lost a couple steps, which is very normal. Uh, He is still, I believe, capable of being very productive in a system where he has the ball a lot. And I think he was the player that was least well-suited for how we ended up playing most of the year. Uh, We played formations that put the most players in their best positions, uh, including KSAC. We talked about a left wing back and this, that, and the other. But we did not ever put Juan Hernandez in situations in his best position, I would argue I would argue is, until his...
1: until the end of the year when he was playing a lot as the ten. When we went to that, like whether it was the four 3 three straight up or the four 3 three offset, we started playing one at the ten, partly because Kayo's emergence at center defense allowed Richard Dixon yes. and Spielman to go to
0: midfield. Well, and when you saw once you saw Richard Dixon paired with either Tate Uh, depending on when it was Tate in midfield or Juan in midfield, you saw the midfield just be better. And one of those reasons why was because you had an excellent athlete in Richard Dixon who made good decisions, who covered a lot of ground and who was a good leader and made up for the fact that Tate covers more ground than Juan, but he's not super, he's not a super mobile guy athletically, right? He's a very good technically and he covers enough ground. Juan covers less ground than you'd like him to, but hopefully he still makes good decisions. He's still very good on the ball. He's still Spanish. He'd yeah. Still Juan Hernandez. Um. And Richard Dixon really helped make up for some of Juan's like weaknesses and let Juan just play to his strengths more. And in this system, I I see your point at the six. I do see your point there. I am skeptical of that as Juan's position. I'm very skeptical of that at Juan's position. Okay. We disagree. Uh. I think you could see him play some time there. I think you will because Juan likes to wander. Um. He likes to go get the ball. He likes to go beyond the ball. He likes to move around and and an interchange. I think he will play the eight differently than those other guys. I think he will play the eight, M- one of the eights or one of the eight tens. Most of it. One, one of
1: the, one of the winger eights or one of the, the winger tens. Cause I classify those as two different things.
0: I think you could see him play time at or, both of or, them. Or do you
1: think it's going to be an evolution in Rod's system?
0: So I think he will play some sort of a cross between the six eights that he played in the, in the fall and the, eight wingers, not the eight tens, not the 10 wingers, the eight wingers. I think he'll still play in the midfield mostly, but I think he will play as an eight that goes kind of box to box that appears everywhere. He doesn't, he's not going to slide out wide as you mentioned with Brett Jones and then beat a guy on the dribble down the sidelines, right? That's not his game. Uh, he's, he's not that fast anymore. If he beats a guy, he's going to get three steps on him and that guy's going to catch him. If, if that guy's a mid, uh, a winger or, or a guy playing out wide, you know, he's, he can beat probably occasionally a center midfielder, but one is going to beat you through trickery and, through good passing and through better decision-making and through better technical ability, not through physical ability. Whereas Brett Jones might beat you with physical ability and some technical ability, right? So I don't think he fits. He might fit some of the 10s, some of the 10s that tuck in. I'm not saying he couldn't play any of the 10s. And I think he'll play a little bit there. But I think mostly you will see him at, like you said, one of the 10s if we play a double pivot. One of the 10s if we play a four three three. but he'll be a 6-8-10. He'll be one of the 8s. That goes up and plays a little bit more forward, and because we should be in possession much more, we should be winning. One likes to press. I'm not. I'm not sure that Juan is a great presser at, at this age, right? He doesn't have the legs that he once had. However, if the entire team is built around pressing, there were moments that with him as a nine and him as a ten that he did he led the press quite a bit. Yeah, and he led the press. Effectively sometimes and ineffectively sometimes, but I would argue that the ineffectiveness was more due to the team not pressing in a coherent manner than him being a bad presser of the ball. Now that we didn't see him press enough for me to be sure that that's the case. And we
1: didn't see him press against, you know, pro competition. Right.
0: But if your if your team is designed around pressing the ball, getting the ball back and making quick decisions to, to play short passes and keep the ball, that's something that Juan is very well suited to do. That's yeah. what he's done his entire career. And if we're on the ball more, if we're pressing to get the ball back and then recycling the ball, keeping the ball, playing the ball, those are things I want Juan doing. What I don't want Juan doing is playing in space when when there's a bunch of players running on him when he's when he's playing 2 on 2 and there's two players running at him. And he's backpedaling or trying to get back to stop that play. That's not his game. Yeah. And asking him to do that, may, like that's just not a like. And I'm not I'm not shitting on Fuller here, but that's not his game. Correct. And he was doing that because that was what the system asked, and that's what put others in a good position to do. But I think this system will put him in a much more a system that plays much better to his strengths. It plays away from his weaknesses. If he does get bypassed, it will be less often because we were stretched out and he's not athletic enough. Like that will be less of an issue which that was just a big issue in fuller system, especially when you were only playing two midfielders. And they were supposed to cover if you're playing two midfielders in a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, that both those midfielders you want to be exceptionally athletic in fuller system to cover all the ground and you saw the big difference once uh once we brought in Richard Dixon into that into that system. When you played a double pivot with Richard Dixon, he covered all that ground that Juan didn't have to. And if this system allows Juan to not have to cover all of that ground all of the time defensively, it will allow him to be, I think, better offensively, more on the ball, and we'll hopefully see a little bit more of the old Juan Hernandez that we knew uh, instead of more of him having to try to run and catch up with guys defensively, which is just not his game. You want him making passes, slipping guys in, and score getting goals.
1: Yeah, so what I'm... What I'm hearing from you, from from this particular perspective, is you could see him as the maybe the let's see how how would this go probably the left sided ten, uh, and then the right sided eight, and I'm 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 saying that because of something I said previously about Kasek and Robertson, where I think Kasek will get to the byline uh, more often, uh, partly because like that's that's more of his game. Uh, whereas Robertson really likes an early ball, yes. Uh, so if so, we're- so if he's the right sided if he's the right sided eight, kind of like pushing to become more of an eight, more of an eight10 in that right channel, you've got like uh, some extra numbers there and it'll allow the the, the right sided 10 can really occupy a little bit more of that byline space. Think Damon Rodriguez uh, playing in the offset. Uh, and if he's the left sided 10, he occupies more of that left channel space, which he really likes, by the way. Because k going to provide that width. Yes, and and him combining and then you've got with the number nine, and you've got the 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 left side or the right sided, the right side of ten, and probably one of the one of the other eights bombing in to provide extra runners in the box. Where did
0: Luis Garcia Sosa play for Subtown?
1: Uh, either the the left or the right sided ten. So
0: slash winger position. So I think you will see now. Juan is a different player because Luis Garcia Sosa is younger and has a little bit more athleticism, a little few, a fewer miles on his legs. He's much closer to. I don't think he's quite as good as 2016 Juan was, but he is much closer to 2016 Juan athletically than than current Juan is closer to 2016 one. So I think you will see him play in a lot of the same ways that Luis played. Um, so that'll be obviously the ten sum. I just think he'll play the eight a little bit more. Um, but I do think that that's the kind of role you can expect because Luis Garcia Souza is not a like exceptionally athletic player. He's a very smart player. Yeah, He plays a lot of good balls. He pops up in good situations. Just by the way, so did Juan. Um, if you look early on in the season, there's a reason he got a couple goals. Uh, he was popping up in smart positions. This system will incentivize not necessarily playing in transition and whoever gets there first, it's going to prioritize getting there smartly and sometimes getting there first. And I think more Juan moments, hopefully, will be uh, to his strengths, like I said. And like similar to Luis Garcia-Sosa, who got time on the ball, who played good passes, who played players in, who made mo- who made good moments. Like Those are some more advantageous situations for Juan to play in. So I think this is, to, to sum all of that up, where I've repeated myself a lot, I know. But I think this system favors Juan a lot more than a fuller system did. And I'm hopeful that we see a bit of a resurgence um, from him, on the offensive end. And then we see a, a few more assists. It wasn't, but two seasons ago where if Juan wasn't making the final pass, we weren't scoring. <laughs> that was only two seasons ago. I, I hope that we are not that dependent on one player ever. Just like we were that dependent on case last year, but I hopefully he can be a part of this team where we have multiple guys making that final pass and we're scoring a lot more goals. Yeah.
1: That's, that's really good stuff.
0: Also. I want to uh, point out that we didn't really talk about red as a goalkeeper. Um, I do think red fits in with rod system. Well, from a, a playing the ball perspective. Um, Red has two good feet. He, he likes to play with the ball. If you remember, he, he said in our podcast, he played at, I think it was right back. You know, he played in the field at, at his community college when he went back home before he came to CFC. Uh, he's not, ju- he's not a six foot five shot stopper that can't move. He can, he can really run around and move. And so, you know, we'll see what, what the future holds for him. But I suspect that this system will fit him better than a fuller system would generally fit him. Um, a fuller Fuller wanted and needed a guy who was going to come up with incredible stops um, all the time because we need we were going to have moments of transition where we were just exposed. Uh, and I'm hopeful. And then the goalkeeper was also not supposed to have to make a ton of short passes. The goalkeeper supposed to make good decisions and get rid of it when when the time came. And, and Rod's teams don't get rid of it, so we'll see how that works. That's tough. That's a tough ask for a goalkeeper. So I'm not I'm not saying that. Uh, it's going to be easy, but I do think Red's technical abilities fit well what Rod likes to do, which is play the ball, uh, keep the ball, and Red's still young. He's again good with both feet and he's mobile, so hopefully that provides him a system where he can really flourish.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree with all of that um, for sure. Um, we've got two players left: uh, Brett Jones, Damian Rodriguez. Brett Jones,
0: let's leave let's leave Damian to the end.
1: Okay. So I, I, think,
0: I think we can talk a little bit extra about Damien as, as you and I, I'm sure would like to.
1: Sure. So, so with Brett Jones, I, I don't even think this is a hard one. Like he probably slots in as that left-sided winger 10. Yeah. Most often. Yeah. Uh, I, he probably could play the nine a little bit. Um, uh, but like we've talked about, you know, he, he plays the nine differently from a, from a classic nine yes. that I think we're both looking for. Um, uh, but like I, I believe his best position is, is is the eleven, the the left winger in a four-three three.
0: And and if you if or, you, or some version of a four three three. If you've ever noticed Rod's um Twitter handle, it's cut inside. <laughs> Brett Jones is right footed. Yeah. Plays on the left side. Yep. Uh I think so I, I remember I hit you up. Uh, at, when I was in, in Brazil, I went to a soccer game. It was Santos Flamingo, and it was Flamingo at home. And Flamengo is and was the better team. They were in second place, Santos in like fifth. Um, Flamengo won in 2019. They were very good in 2020. Uh, I think they also won the league in 2020. Uh, they did not win the Libertadores in, in 2020 though. Um, and then they they didn't win it in tw- They went to the final in 2021. But anyway, the point is they were a very good team. They dominated that game, including missing a penalty off the post. They conceded a breakaway goal. And then their entire offense was dominated by two left-sided players who were both right-footed and there was a real problem because every time they would cut in every time they would they would cut wide the defense knew because these were not like these were not Reese Williams playing left back who has a good left foot and a great right foot or heaven forbid if you play James Kasach on the right side he has a good right foot and a great left foot so they could still go to the byline these two dudes were incapable of going to the byline it was infuriating because you would watch them create space do really good one-twos and start to go to the byline, and then everyone in the entire stadium, all 45,000 people knew that that player was going to cut back on their right foot. They're, there's both their left back and their left winger. And so they never could get the take advantage of the danger they created because what, they never had the ability to stretch the field and every defender just shaded them really, really hard to the cutback. And every time they'd cut back, they'd block the shot or they'd be all be ready and, and make, the, make it a hard cross. So I say that to say, I think this system, they were playing a 4-3-3 that game, Um, Or at least playing a form that had a a winger and a a left back. And I think that you'll see in Rod's system that it's really important. And I believe it's really important to have a left-footed left back if you're going to play a right-footed winger. I think wingers that cut inside are very valuable, um, very interesting, and very fun. Like, you don't need necessarily two left-footed players that both get to the byline. I think the balance is great if you have a... And, and Pep Guardiola and other managers have proven this all over the world. If you play a right-footed winger and a left-footed left-back, the combination of the two is, can be deadly. Yes, agreed. And, I, and you even a little bit of that can be, if you played Juan Hernandez as the eight, a right-footed eight there, and you have a left-footed overlap. You have the ability to cut in and create some overlaps. You
1: mean the the right-footed the right-footed winger no, 10?
0: No, I'm saying it's the 8. Okay. Um, uh, because one's not going to beat anybody going in, but I'm just saying like uh, the ability for one player to cut in and one player to cut out and to be unpredictable on when that's going to happen. So you have to shade right and that, so if you're if I'm a right-footed 8 or 10 and you're as a defender, you have to shade further to your left, my right to cut off my right foot to keep me from being able to play the ball in with my right foot, that opens up a bunch of space to the left if, yeah. if you're the if you're the furthest most defender, especially. And so I'm really hopeful that we see a resurgence and a, a great, I'm not even a resurgence, a second year for Brett Jones that allows him to cut in on his right foot and have Kaysak overlapping. And they should be able to create some real havoc. And honestly, I could see Juan Hernandez, Brett Jones, and James Kasach being a real handful of, Playing triangles on that left side, as the eight, ten, and, and and left back overlapping. When you look at the technical ability there, and just the the good right foot of Brett Jones, he's unpredictable. He loves to go to goal. He's a very direct player, and I mean that in a good way. He's a very direct player. Yeah,
1: and he, he, what his, one of his best qualities is surprising the goalkeeper when he takes the shot. Uh, yeah, like think about think about the goal against against uh, New Amsterdam in the Legends Cup. Think about the goal against Michigan Stars in the spring. Both of those came in moments that the keeper did not expect. Uh, now, granted, like the New Amsterdam one's a breakaway anyway, one on one with the keeper.
0: What was the goal he scored at the end of the season, late uh, to make it two nothing? The uh,
1: uh, Chicago,
0: Chicago, helps. Chicago. Yeah. I also, mean, look at look at that goal. Like from that angle, nobody shoots and nobody shoots it like that. And he landed Donovan to him. He just like put it around him and over his head. Yeah. And so that's that's a a true that's a like he scored five Nisa goals. In how many minutes? Uh I'd have to look it up, but it, it wasn't a wasn't a crazy ton. He wasn't at one goal per ninety by any means, but he was much better than you would expect in goal production versus minutes played. And I think that while I'm I'm not I don't know that Brett Jones is a starting left winger because we've that we've only signed eight players. So there's a chance <laughs> he, we he signed- He is right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> is right now. Uh there's a chance that he is uh playing some number nine, some eleven or or some, some of the one of the tens on the left side and occasionally maybe on the right. I don't I haven't seen him a ton on the right. Maybe he can play that a little bit too. My point being is maybe he's one of the rotational players. Maybe we have four starters kind of or five starters for three positions. Or maybe he's a nailed down start on the left side. I don't know. But I think this uh I think the left side of a four three three favors him. I don't know that I don't know that Rod's um and I think you and I actually disagree on this. Um, I don't know that Rod's system actually favors him more than Fuller's system did. Playing on the break direct is, in my opinion, Brett's game, and
1: I think so. I think anything that gives that gives him a chance to get the ball uh, in space, preferably on the left channel, where he can look at he he can like face up a defender. Maybe it's the the left back, maybe it's a covering covering midfielder or whatever, where he, he can face the game, look at it, can go can go inside, can go outside, can play a combination with the left back. Or with say a uh, with, with with say the ten, something like that. I think I think that's where he's best suited, and I think I think the system, especially especially if they emphasize uh, that he he ends up in, in in certain positions at certain times, I think it could be really really good for him. Yeah, so and, I, and I, because he'll make runs he'll make runs in behind in yes. possession, and that that is also something he's good at. Yes, uh, and and I think that was a feature. We to talk about feature that was features that were missing with with Stumptown. They had guys occasionally being able to make runs in behind, but they were usually tracked pretty well because there was no actual number nine to hold up the ball at yeah. all. So I, I th- uh, so like interchanging runs is something that will definitely be a part of the system. You know, some guys coming in short, some guys you know trying to sneak in behind. Uh, and I, I think if he's one of those guys sneaking in behind, and there's a reason for why
0: and just the like defense late- wants
1: to occupy wants to make sure the center forward is 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 taken care of
0: he'll be able to slip in behind well and just like we saw towards the end of the season if he comes in or not even the, end of the season all season if he comes in late in a game and and especially if you're chasing a game and with tired legs get him a little bit of space yeah he's dangerous yeah you're you're in trouble because brett's a good finisher he's he, at least he's an uh, he is good at putting good shots on frame that went in and I think he's, I, I don't, I'm not saying he's not a good finisher. I'm just saying we have five, we have five goals. So like, that's hard to say like somebody's a plus finisher, but he's definitely not a bad finisher and he definitely got it done in, in low minutes. I, I do agree with you. He, he may fit well in the system. I just think he fit really well in a fuller system. I don't know. I'm in, I'm very excited to see what he brings back. Um, this is a really, really big year for him. It's a second year and yeah, it, it's, it's a really, really big, big season. Um, Let's do, right before we talk, Damian. One note about Stumptown that I don't know if if listeners know. I don't think we've talked about this on a podcast. Stumptown, or we we haven't talked in depth about it. Stumptown in the you asked Rod about this exact thing it was my question from Brazil, which is that Stumptown beat Detroit in Detroit in 20, yeah. in the fall in twenty twenty one. They beat LA. They, they
1: drew them in in Detroit in the spring too.
0: They lost. They did lose to Detroit still, but everyone lost to Detroit. They be, beating them away from home that only hap, or beating them only happened like three times at their place in two seasons or in two years, two calendar years. And we were one of them. And Stumptown was one of them. So I think that's interesting. I do think that's significant. They beat Cal United once. They drew LA Force twice. Yeah, and they beat New Amsterdam twice. I know one of those New Amsterdam games you don't count, but those are still, <laughs> and that's fair. But those are still the four teams that finished above CSC. Yeah, and then Stumptown came in below us in the table because they managed to drop points. They got beat by us three times, they T- twice. L- I'm saying three. Uh, okay, they lost. <laughs> they, they got beat by us twice. Um, they did they beat us once, or they beat they us in the spring, but uh, not in the fall. Oh, wow, I've blocked the whole spring out. Um, so they they beat us once and we they lost us twice. But they also you know they lost some games and I don't know who they lost to because I did not look in this in depth, but between the Bobcats, 1904, all the teams below us in the table, they managed to drop enough points against them to finish below us. Yeah.
1: I think, I think every, they played Michigan stars three times this year and finished all three of those games were nil, nil.
0: Uh, Oh yeah. There's another, by the way, drawing well in the spring, it wasn't that impressive because Marcus murdered the Michigan stars and they couldn't do anything after that. (laughs) Um, But in the fall, Michigan stars were back to being pretty good. And, yeah, uh, what I'm what I'm getting at is that they had the exact opposite um, fall that we did. So they finished three points below us. They finished essentially one game. We could have been tied. Um, if if you listen to Coach Underwood, he says that they had better XG. They didn't have a finisher. I'm gonna we could take that at face value. I'm not going to. I'm gonna say that it, that wasn't. Now I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just gonna throw that out of the equation. They finished right below us. If one more bounce in another game goes their way, or if they just beat us one time, we're tied. Right? Or 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 they're beating, or if they beat actually if they beat us, we're they're in fourth or fifth place and we're in in eighth, eighth or ninth. Eighth, eighth place, probably. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to look at the idea that why did why were they able to get results against good teams and or teams maybe that underestimated them, which is part of what I think might have happened. I think some of those better teams may have underestimated them and they were able to kind of keep the ball and take advantage of opportunities. And then against teams that maybe bunkered against them. And I wonder if we'll see that this year. So if if a team bunkers against you and you're a possession team, that is where Rod's idea that we didn't have a striker so we couldn't finish. Yeah, that kind of comes into play a little bit.
1: I, I think I think that comes into play, but also I, I think they're also missing the the one thing we, we talked about this earlier. They're missing the one thing that helps you break down defenses when they're bunkered against you, which is a back to goal number nine. They don't actually have to score the goal, but like by by virtue of having one, you create space in multiple different ways, uh, and it allows you in tight spaces someone that can whether it's maybe flick a ball on or, uh, or, or 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 really just anything. It it allows you. To have have something to play off of that isn't like constantly like running into the midfield. Yes, and uh, I th- I think that matters more so than anything else because the Detroit's, the Cal United's, the LA forces of the world are not teams that are going to bunker against you, except for maybe Detroit. They kind of do in moments, and then they open up in moments. And I think the thing about Detroit is it was really hard to take advantage of them when they opened up. Because, you know the types of players that they have, they're they play the kind of system where they lose the ball, they turn tail, everyone gets behind the ball, and they put those numbers back. Yes, and they were industrious and and, and had the work rate enough to get back behind the ball all again.
0: Yes, they did. Yeah, and I should have used them earlier talking about pressing team versus not pressing team. Detroit didn't press at all. Mm -hmm. They just played the percentages. They got back. They played smart. And they had a lot of talent on that team and some individual yeah. brilliance, but it wasn't just talent and individual brilliance. It was a system, it was talent, it was individual brilliance. And it was, I mean, if you hit one bicycle kick in the year, but if you hit three. Like there was some luck involved too. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, but like also that some of that's just they they had some sort of individual or collective thing that let them really push through and keep winning. Yeah. And, and it lasted three entire calendar years. So, you know, it's hard to tell me it was luck. Yeah. But. Uh, they're interesting because they didn't, you know, they didn't press. I wonder, and I wonder what we'll see this year. You know, as a note, playing against good teams, this team, knock on wood, should be a more talented team than Rodhead at Stumptown. If you think about the difficulties in recruiting, we don't know money wise exactly what they had and exactly what we had, but you know, neither one of those teams is the highest, uh, the highest paid team in NISA. And hopefully this year we will not be one of the lowest. Hopefully we'll be somewhere in the middle. A um, little preview for my uh, for my uh, New Year's resolutions pod that's <laughs> coming. But if you think that we're in the middle, which he said you can't be the lowest paid team in the league, but you as long as you're in the middle, there's enough good players out there to find. Will he have more talent and more ability to attract good players at Chattanooga? I think absolutely. Yeah, this I would is say an, so. This is an established team. It's been around 13 seasons. It's... A town that may not be as glitzy as New York or LA, but it's it's a good town, and this is a place that they don't have to worry about moving three times during <laughs> the season. Yeah. Uh, there's this that town article that came out on on protagonist. You know, laid out that they had a really rough off the field fall, and I'm not I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just saying things that can improve on that front. Here is that we never changed any sort of off-the-field accommodations. Those accommodations were great from beginning to end and very nice and walking distance from the stadium. I don't know where they'll be this year, but that we have good, solid... Play. The bills will be paid. The We have never heard an even an inkling that there's been one single late payment ever on Chattanooga's behalf for anything. Whereas... Nisa the league who was running the st- running Stumptown is known to pay the referees late fuck you Nisa and or <laughs> not pay not pay them at all there's rumors that they don't pay that they didn't pay some of Stumptown's uh wages on time and event maybe they came through eventually or didn't I mean that that article was it's protagonist so who fucking knows but like also i i, I doubt they published things they made up. So my point being is and I'm not again I'm not making excuses for Rod you you and I'm not making excuses for Fuller or anybody right your results on the field are what they are but going forward those should be things that should be better in Chattanooga for Rod so hopefully he can attract better talent and if he can attract better talent my hope is this is my hopeful offseason take is that they're able to put together a squad that could be better offensively than some was in the fall and that can be similar or much more Closely related to Stumptown Spring performances, which were again at a very, very big disadvantage from throwing things together to the last possible minute. And I will set the expectations pretty high. I won't. I won't say them here. I'll say them later on our on our our pod about uh about our New Year's resolutions for the club. But yeah, I, I think that this is a big year for for Rod and for CFC, and I expect a, a step forward from both uh, going forward. Yeah. All right, let's go to Damian. Sorry, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Stumptown because I think it's a really interesting you know, season. We couldn't beat... I think our season is much easier to explain. We managed to get... We dropped some points we shouldn't have dropped, but in general, we got the points against the teams below us, like the teams that we thought we should beat or yeah. at least tie, and we we lost a couple of those, but that, that's just how it is, and we could not beat the teams above us, whereas Stumptown did the exact opposite, and I think that's very... Uh, it's interesting. All right, so Damian. Damien. Fuck. Damien. Sorry, Damien. Uh, there's no way you listen to this, but I'm sorry. Fuck you, Fuller. Um, I miss you. I'm drinking a seltzer in your honor, but fuck you for getting that stuck in my head. So, Damien, uh, it is, is this the biggest signing, professional signing in CFC history? And if yes, why? And if no, why?
1: Uh, Yes. Not particularly close, honestly. Why? It's a proof of concept for me that in a town our size in a market our size that a a player can come up from this local area and uh at at the end of high school be good enough to play professionally even at, even it because even if it's division 3 he's good enough and he proved it by the way like this isn't controversial no he proved it <laughs> Uh, in in his time in his time with the club uh, on the academy contract, he was good enough to play. he was not just good enough to play. he was he was good enough to regularly be in the 18 or' well, be in the 18 in general, be in the starting 11 towards the you know part part way uh, he started a couple games early on in the fall uh, and then and then really really came on towards the end of the fall season. yes and not just like be a be a starting 11 player. let's go one step further to be one of our most important and influential players on the field.
0: Yes. Wow.
1: Little sound effects there.
0: Yeah, no, but that was, uh, I was waiting to hit that because that's that's for, for Damien. Uh, yes, I, I could not agree more with everything you just said. And I want to add a, a caveat in here. This was a rough, rough season, objectively. And this is, objectively, if you go look at the numbers, the worst season of CFC's amateur or professional history. Like, our history. That's a bummer, but that just is what it is. Um, for all of the good and bad that happened and for all of the good and bad that happened in Fuller's tenure, and, and we had some really good stuff too, right? His handling of, of Damien, his development of Damien, his bringing him along and helping him develop into the player that he is now has been exceptional. Mm-hmm. I have nothing that I would change about any of it. Um, From bringing him in when he was a player, if you remember, that could only play for 10 minutes before he was completely gassed. (laughs) And then he could only play for 45. And he talked about this. If you go listen to the 433 soccer pod, they just did a a, a Damien interview. It was great. And he talked about um, learning how to play with professionals and learning how to get, like, and he said this several times that basically you, and it said it different ways, but you would, in high school and amateur ball, if you get past a defender, they don't hustle and get back and, Put a challenge in on you a second time or a third time or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth time, the same way a professional does. He said yeah. that was the biggest difference. Um, he said, You beat a guy and then suddenly, like, they're gone and you can worry about the next guy. Whereas in professional soccer, you got to worry about that first guy you beat all the time. He said, In, in amateur soccer and in high school soccer, no one keep up with him. As soon as he got past him, he was gone. And they wouldn't keep trying the same way that a professional. He's like, A professional's fit and they never give up and they will come back and get you and i think that we really saw that like that growth and that development uh, from fuller and from damian and i'm really really excited for year 2 uh, i could not agree more with the proof of concept thing and yeah this this really shows a commitment to the community and a commitment to making sure that uh players can look at damian and say i want to be damian and there's a path to be that yeah
1: also like let's let's think about the the uh the, the the circumstances of, of the contract and 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 how how it's working like you know pro contract he's getting paid there's the educational component as well yeah, so, so that talk, he can, talk,
0: talk about the educational co- component a little bit because he's a guy who had we know had full ride offers from colleges
1: yeah so it, I mean I, I don't want to belabor uh, some of the stuff that's been put out but but the idea that uh, he'll get he'll get college credit reimbursement for for college credits so that he can Reaches dream of being the the first person in his family to go to college, uh, while at the same time playing soccer as a pro. And what it does, uh, and I and I I'm hoping that there'll be more of these in the future for us. And I'm I'm kind of hopeful for American soccer in general in that front. the The college system right now does not develop players the way it needs to. Players when they come out of four years of college, twenty two years old or whatever it is, are behind other countries players at 22 because the college system is maybe half the year. Whereas the professional calendar is, is basically a full time. Yeah. 12 month thing
0: pros pros play and train for roughly 10 months a year. Yeah. College players play and train for roughly five months a year. And even if they are training those other months, it's not the same as getting game time. Right. And so you look at a guy like Phil D'Amico who blazed a little bit of this path. Shout out Phil. We're going to miss you, man. Um, he blazed a little bit of this path in Chattanooga football club lore because he said three years into his college career with a whole nother year of eligibility, he said, "Nah, I'm out. I'm coming here. I want to turn professional. And and one of the stated reasons he said was that I could play for five months a year or I could play for nine months a year. I'm going to play for nine months a year. That will be better for my development, my professional career. And I yep. think that is the not the only piece, but that is the biggest piece of the development Cycle. Additionally, uh, as Jay mentioned in our last podcast, Title IX is a thing, so there are less men's soccer programs locally here, yeah. and that just is what it is. So UTC does not have a men's soccer program. They have a club program, They're not a men's soccer program uh, in the in Division Two athletics or Division One athletics. So, if Damien was to go to college, he couldn't go here in Chattanooga. He could at Dalton State potentially, and I don't know how many. They're an NAIA, so I don't even know what kind of scholarship offers they have or don't have. I, I don't know any of those details. Uh, but it's pretty clear, I think, from reading the tea leaves here that he di- he chose. Last year, He had I was told he had offers to go on a full ride to a couple different colleges, and he chose not to. Um, and then this year, obviously, he chose to sign a professional deal instead. But as part of that professional deal, what you get when you go to college is your tuition paid for. As long as he passes his classes, this is my understanding, if he passes his classes, he will get them reimbursed up to a certain number of credits at UTC. Per semester. Per semester. So then he's essentially getting what he could get from a college. And he's getting professional development better than a college could give him, at least we believe. And then he's also getting paid money, which college athletes can now get some image rights stuff, but they can't get paid to play. Yeah. So he should be getting the best of all of those worlds, knock on wood. And we should be putting out as as members of, of, of this Chattanooga Football Club community, we should hope, because most guys, unfortunately, and, and soon to be when our women's team returns, women, they will not come out of this, most of them, as professional athletes in the long term. Yeah, And professional athletes, by the way, don't last until 40, hardly. So we want to put out better humans and more advanced humans on their ability to, pr- to provide for themselves and to be prepared for life. And one of those things... One of those ways you can do that is helping them with internships, which we have in the past with our men's team. And I've I've heard, we heard on the, um, again, to shout out the 423 Soccer Guys again, they did an interview with the Women's Advisory Board in which they mentioned that they want to find high-level internships for women's players when they come to town during the summer. Providing an educational pathway that allows young professionals to develop both professionally, soccer-wise, and professionally, academically Offering those two things lets us really fulfill the the goal of CFC, which is to make, like, do good through soccer. So we want to win soccer games, but we also want to put out better humans, make better humans, let people advance so they come out from Chattanooga, not just more developed on a personal level from life experience, but more developed professionally and academically. And allowing a player like Damian to do that is the first proof of concept and hopefully what will be, you know, this could expand to, I don't know what the max number, but, Two, two, three, four, five guys a year. I mean, that, that, that may be setting the bar a little high, but guys that don't want to go to college, that want to d- be professional soccer players and want to also continue their college career, but they don't want to do that just on a college scholarship, this is a no-brainer. And it's a win-win for everyone involved. And I really, really hope we see uh, this as not just the first and only, but the first of many.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing I'll, I'll mention there is I, I think it's important for... And you've heard about, like you know, people looking up, I'd like, say, I want to be Damien. Uh, it, it's it's another, it's a massive piece for for the academy and for our, our academy affiliate partners. Uh, yes. Because it's not just, um, you know, it, 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 you want to see players, kids, honestly, just kids. You want them to, to see something and say, you know what? Hey, like, that's a goal of mine. Like, think about how many professional soccer players they're talking about, like, you know, when they were a kid in some academy somewhere. They were they were seeing guys from the first team and they were like, I wanna be that person. At, he came from this academy. Look
0: too. at look at Marcus Rashford and he didn't come from the same academy. Marcus Rashford and Jesse Lingard and all those photos with Ronaldo when Ronaldo was on the first team at Manchester United and they were in the academy and they said, I want to be that guy. They identified with Ronaldo, not because he was from their same hometown, but because they, they liked him and, and they were seeing him and now they're excuse me, they're on the same team now. Make that even further and say that Damien's from Dalton. If a kid in Dalton goes, hey, look, I, Damien did it. He went to Dalton's he went to Dalton and went to high school and then crushed it and won a state championship. And now then he went to CFC and played as an amateur and now he's playing for them and he's XYZ XYZ, whatever the future holds for him. Like that's huge. Yeah,
1: it's it's huge. I, I mean I hope it's I, I hope it's massive for the for the kids in Dalton, but I hope it's also big huge for 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 people in Chattanooga because there's some really good players in this town. Yes. Um, and and a lot of them are just strictly on the college path, which is fine. That's a good path.
0: Yes. If you can get your college paid for, and that is what you want to do, go get a a degree at North Carolina or wake forest or whatever. Great. But But if you, if that's not what you want to do and you don't want to go play college soccer, this is another opportunity. But also how many of those players that are
1: churning out going to college that are good players, how many of them are going on to play pro? Exactly.
0: Also, how many guys do or, or, we, or how many, how many even want to is, th- is another question. Think about Kieran Bywater. He yeah. went to he got absolutely shafted by West Ham. At least that's how I look at it. And he got cut as a 21-year-old essentially, 20-year-old. Yeah. And he, he hadn't gone to college. And so he, he got and then he was able to get a, a college scholarship here and he got fucked over by the NCAA. If he had been able to take this deal with us, imagine that. Imagine if he had been able to take a I can make, I can take X number of credits at UTC. And as long as I pass them, I'll be reimbursed for them. Like I can play here as a professional player. Yeah. And granted he, there's some visa issues and whatever else from a foreign player, but I'm just pointing out like a guy like that. Let's, let's just leave the visa issues out of it. A guy like that deserved to be able to play both professional soccer and get a degree. Correct. And the NCAA fucked him over. Yeah. And West Ham fucked him over. And CFC, CFC, hopefully can be a home for some of those types of guys to help them because the, the soccer system all over the world does not necessarily like it does turn out better pros. It doesn't, it is arguable. And I would argue that maybe it doesn't always turn out better humans because if you wash out at 24 with no college degree and no skills training, and you've been essentially in an academy learning only about soccer and very little about the world and uh, somewhere else around the world, you may not, amount to anything or maybe tougher for you, I should say, to to make it in the in the part of the world that isn't athletics. Let's put it that way. Whereas here we do the opposite, right? Everything is is scholastic. And then maybe you don't advance athletically. Maybe we can somehow balance some of those for a handful of these guys and provide the ability to make progress on both sides of that. So that you when you do quit playing soccer professionally, you're able to have a leg up. And you're you're able to be in a better place. And when you're playing professionally, you can be hopefully a couple steps ahead of those guys that went to college.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with all of it. Uh to, to wrap up the Damien bit on, on kind of position where where he probably plays, I don't I don't think this is sorry, I've been holding all that in for a long time. <laughs> I don't think this is that this, this is that that hard or, or controversial. He's one of the winger he's one of the winger tens. I mean, like he can play he can play centrally, he can play out wide, good creatively. Uh, for others or for himself, like this isn't a particularly yes. hard one. Like, I think I think he has a chance. I think like, you, you said it incredibly well. Fuller did an amazing job with Damian, bringing him along, getting him ready, and I,
0: then making him make a real difference at pro games. And
1: I yes, and I think I think in Rod's and I think in Rod's system, uh, Damian's going to have an opportunity to to really take another step forward. Now it should be noted, he's young. Like, it'll be his first full professional year. Uh, he's going to have some, some. I, I bet he's going to have some really, really high highs. Uh, and he's probably going to have a stretch where he doesn't play very well. Because, now, and, he, because he's young, and it's his first pro season, and, and honestly, this is normal.
0: we don't remember this season because, again, Fuller did a really good job of playing him in little, in moments where he could succeed. But there were a couple games where he played 45 minutes, and he was gassed at halftime. Then he played another 10 minutes and he was, you know, no offense, worthless for that 10 minutes or that 15 minutes, or that 20 minutes in the second half. And that was growing pains. You are a hundred percent correct that it, this will be his sophomore season. Almost, almost universally the sophomore slump in soccer, the sophomore wall, you see it in MLS when college guys come out, you see it all over the world. Well, not even all over the world, in domestic soccer here. But also all over the world too. Guys are not used to playing this long of a season at this high of an intensity. Yeah, and they're they haven't learned how to find that second gear or find that new development once the league kind of finish figures you out, right? So defenders are smart, and one of the things some teams tried to do was just kick the shit out of Damian, and it worked to a certain extent because it did not slow him down or stop him. But if you kick him enough times and the referees do a poor job, like that will that will like I mean. Kafari just murdered him, but you what you also found out is that Damien also grew a little
1: bit and got a little smarter and started figuring out where to go and how to deal with
0: that. What we got to see is next season how do teams adjust because if he plays like he if he starts next season the way he finished this season, he will be one of the most important players on whatever team he's playing on, which will be whether that's Rod Underwood's team or or Peter Fuller's team. And that remains to be seen, obviously. Like you said, I, I agree completely. He's a young player. He will have ups and downs, and we need to be with him and supportive of of those ups and downs.
1: I'll also point out that he played in an 18-game stretch in a, in a little bit of the, of the summer
0: but that eight- CFC.
1: We're looking at probably 30. Mean, like, we played 30 regular season games, essentially, or 30 NISA games in, in 2021. We're probably looking at a similar number. We're looking at ballpark 30. So, like it's it, i mean like he's going to be involved now in a
0: longer stretch yes 100% well. and so i think that you're 100% correct that he will have ups and downs and that is normal that is how it has to be yeah if if he's just dominant then he's not going to be here but for about 6 months <laughs> um, but he's going to have ups and downs uh, hopefully more ups than downs but what we what we are going to see and i don't know what he's i unlike the other guys i don't know what s- system he is better suited to um, this one or, or, or the previous one. And I say that with like, he's just going to be a hopefully a better player and continue to improve. And I don't know if we'll be able to say that it was better or worse for the system in which uh, he was playing because he should be a different player this year. He's 19. He's going to develop and he should develop and continue changing. And, you know, hopefully for his, he grows a little bit. Uh, he <laughs> made a, he made a, um and shout out Cutler Coleman. Uh, He made a a shout out to Cutler Coleman on the 423 soccer pod. He talked about uh, how, like who impressed him. he said, Cutler Coleman, he says my size, but like, you know, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, so I'll get this a little bit wrong, but like, you know, he's basically like always in there, always in the middle of things, always like really strong defensively, always running and like really like, you know, whatever, whatever. But I thought that that was interesting that he did mention that, you know, he's not a real tall guy. He's a little guy. So it will be interesting to see what happens, how teams adjust to playing against him because he was electric and dominant Teams always adjust. There is no player that is electric and dominant outside of Leo Messi that teams don't adjust to. And by the way, they still adjust to Leo Messi. They, they double and triple him. And then other players have to step up because you just don't pass him the ball as much. Um, they Teams will adjust to Damian. There's no doubt about it. The question is, how does he adjust to that adjustment? How does the team adjust to that adjustment? Mm-hmm. And then what does his 2022 look like? But I am really, really excited to see what 2022 holds for chatting football club for Damian Rodriguez and for, you know, a Rod Underwood coach team that, you know, uh, we said before, I'm really sorry to see Fuller go on a personal level. I'm going to miss him a lot. Um, on a technical level, everything continues to turn that wheel continues to turn. And now we're on to the next chapter and what, what is CFC going to do? Hopefully have win, have a, a better season and win even more games. So, uh, Matthew, if the people want to find you on the internet and yell about uh, our bad takes today, where could they find you?
1: You can find me on Instagram at I am Ken You can find me on Twitter at Whiskey is fine.
0: Folks, you can find me on the internet. Thank you for listening. If you made it through to the end, um, we love you. This was a very nerdy pod. Um, if you liked it, would love to hear that. Actually, if you didn't like it, keep it yourself. Yeah
1: should we, should we should we be more nerdy or not?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, also, like, there's a you know Matt and I have talked about like, do we want to go super in depth? on things like this, on tactics, on super, super, you know, two dumb guys talking about what what we think. Yeah. Like, is this good? Is, is this enjoyable? Um, I, we could do this pod for everybody else and we do these pods obviously for ourselves, but also like we can have this conversation on the phone while I'm washing dishes. So we'd love to hear if you liked this episode, if it is a little bit of a departure from what we normally do, um and yeah thank you to my puppies for being mostly good i don't think anybody heard any serious puppy noise maybe a little bit of scratching here and there and yeah we love y'all we'll see you soon and uh yeah happy new year happy new year